BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of True Crime and Cocktails, Famous Fatalities Edition. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, S with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How you feeling? You know, this, I was going to say this week, but I guess technically I just mean today. Yeah. If I could describe it in a word, beaming. Really? Yeah, which seems weird. <laughs> Pride seems weird to me. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, we're in Pride Month. Uh, Come on. Well, yeah. It's just weird for me to have my own pride. I, I've, I've been in a, like a cleaning frenzy. Sure. And I found my university, like, official Bachelor of Arts paper that I had. Yeah. De- degree, I guess. Sure. Yeah, that's and the title. Yeah. yeah. I found it. And I was like, you know what? It, it showed up in one of those hardcover things. And it's just kind of been in the envelope in the hardcover thing for years. Because I got this in like 2012, I think. And so I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to hang it up. And my husband yes. was like, hang it up. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to name names. But I, I, got, I got a lot of judgment and a lot of, uh, a lot of teasing went on when I graduated with this degree which I kind of like to think that a Bachelor of Arts degree, a bachelor de- degree still feels impressive to me. Uh, but I got teased, of course, because it was an arts degree and a lot of like, oh, okay, so you plan on doing nothing with that? You know, that kind of attitude, right. which yeah. I don't care for. No. I didn't use it for several years because after that I ended up being a stay-at-home mom for several years, which I was very fortunate enough to do. Yeah, But then all of a sudden we started doing this and I'm doing some things which I'm actually using it uh, because my major was communication studies. So I'm like, well, here we go. So I was like, you know what? It's time. So I've put it in a frame. I went and bought it today. It hangs above me on my uh, on the wall 
in my office. It, it's half my office. I've taken up way more than, than my husband has of this office. But it's, uh, it's now in my office, so I feel very professional. And, I mean, it's, again, it's almost a decade old, but it's getting some use now. So that feels nice. And again, just beaming. So every once in a while, I just glance up and I'm like, there it is. Well, now I'm going because, listen, that is nice. I love this. It's nice. I will I will say, if anything else, at the end of the day, yeah, there's less sleep. But this, if, if nothing else, this podcast has really boosted the confidence, you know? So I definitely I come into an episode better than I did the very first one where I was like, I shouldn't be here. Right. Whereas now I'm like, fuck it, I'm here, kicking the door in. Whereas before I would just like knock very lightly, like, may I come in? And now I just kick it in. And I'm like, it's here. I'm, I have no idea what I'm doing. So now you're seeing it through my eyes. (laughs) It's, uh, it's come full circle in a way. It's... Listen, I love this. I think this is so positive. I think it's really important to celebrate accomplishments, to to commemorate life events. I think all of these things are important. And hell yeah, you're directly using that degree. So anybody yeah. who said anything otherwise can suck an egg because <laughs> you, you're, you're literally, literally, it's a direct use. Yeah. Ride the toe of your boot. They can you ride know? the toe of my boot. Yeah. Shout out June Ash. Absolutely. Because yeah. listen, also, by the way, yeah, also you were you took some time. You stayed home with your kids, which, like you said, that's that's an amazing opportunity to get to yeah. do that. Kids are getting older now. And, and this is this is the time that people, you know, women especially a lot of the time get back into the workforce or what have you. And, uh, you know, I again, like I think that if, you know, you said, you know, it's been almost a decade, but but. On the contrary, I think you're right on track. I think this makes a lot of sense. And ahead of the game, ultimately. Well, I mean, I also love, I could leave it at that, but then I'm like, I did also, the entire time I was getting the degree, I was a stay-at-home mom of a young child at the time That's I started. Right. I started when my oldest was uh, about a year old. So they were always there. But you know what? Shout out to anyone who has a Bachelor of Arts degree that's like, yes. you know what? <laughs> People just don't treat me right when you have it. And it's like, you know what? I, I see you and I appreciate you and I love your accomplishments. So I 100% agree. And I'd like to add, I have no degree. So you know what's better than no degree? Any degree. <laughs> well, and that's the joke. The, the people who make fun the most don't have one. Which exactly. I also exactly it was like it took a it took many years and many thousands of dollars <laughs> to and get lots there. of hard work. Yeah, it was a it was a lot. It was a lot. But you know yes. what? Uh, I guess my point is, dear listeners, celebrate any accomplishment, big or yes. small. It's all worth celebrating. Just if it makes you happy, celebrate it. Oh, 100%. now I'm now I'm turned into even though I'm not, I'm turned into like a boozy just like love fest where I'm like just love it all. If you love it, just be happy. 
Like, that's where I'm at now. Yeah. Well, I feel like that directly connects to our theme for the month, of course, our Pride Month theme. If you if you love each other, yeah. if you love what you love, then love it. I feel like that is that feels very uh, on on theme. It wouldn't necessarily at, at first glance, but I think it all feeds. It all connects. You know what I mean? Yeah. Love what you love. Love who you love. Yes. Just exactly. be happy. Be happy. And you know well, what? Listen. Let other people be happy. Yeah. Let them love who they want to love. Let them love themselves. Stop with the judgment. Just let other people be happy. Can't we all just be happy? You know? I mean, that's, I think that's the goal. Or that would be the goal for me. But yeah, I wish it was that simple. Um, listen, speaking of, of course, we are in the middle of our Pride Month themed episodes for True Crime and Cocktails. We are wearing, of course, our True Crime and Cocktails limited edition Pride t-shirts if you've not got one yet, please go to our website, truecrewmerch.com or truecremandcocktails.com. You can purchase one of these. And 50% of the profits go to the Trevor Project, which is an amazing LGBTQ plus charity. Really love the work that they do. And also, there is a contest. If you go to truecremandcocktails.com slash contest, you can enter to win one of these shirts. So lots of love, spreading the love. Uh, we couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier to be doing it. Now, speaking of things we love, what you drinking over there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I oh, I love that I'm trying to narrow down what is the best song to bring it out. I can't wait. Oh, I guess I'm just going to have to go with Reunited and it feels so good. There she goes. Rainbow Twist Palm Bays are back in stock. Uh, <laughs> thank God. What a great yeah. day for you over there. You've got your, de- yeah. your degree hanging up. You've got I your did. Rainbow Twist Palm Bay. I did like frantically at the store once I found out it was in, load up my arms and walk around with these like multiple six packs because I was like, yeah. And like the woman at the till was like, I get it. <laughs> what I love you is know? always playing that game that I and I play that game a lot, which is I don't need a basket. And guess what? I always lose because I always need a basket. (laughs) A hundred percent. The problem with this one is it was like a liquor store inside a grocery store. So there isn't a specific, like, you can't just grab a basket at the front. Right. uh, Because my, my husband was there and didn't want to go into the store in further with me. So he stood outside of it with the cart. And told me, just let him know when he has to come pay. But if I want to go check, I have to go on my own. So I had to make the trek on my own. So then I'm holding these things and trying to shout at him through a mask to be like, hey, you know. And then he showed up and he paid and I brought those sweet, sweet drinks home and just literally took food out of my fridge and went, that's ah, not really good anymore anyway <laughs> to make room because I needed them. I needed them chilled and ready. Yeah. yeah. I've thrown out food to make room for alcohol in a fridge as well. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Better safe than sorry. Better safe. And better cold than warm. Yes. Um, so I over here am doing my version. I've done it before of a speedball, as I've spoken of before, <laughs> yes. which is, of course, a Diet Coke and a Lime High Noon. I have not gotten a lot of sleep uh, this weekend. And so I'm trying to caffeinate up. Before I get boozing, because the last thing we need is for me to get heavy-eyed. Not that I ever get heavy-eyed during one of these episodes, but 
you know, I like to be peppy. I think you're always a little peppy. <laughs> in the best way. In the best you're way. Right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. I do have a I do have a general pep to me. You do. Pep in this step. Now, for those of you watching, I don't know if you noticed anything, but the transformation to my shorter, blonder hair has begun. Uh, for those of you who are listening, I have been toying with going blonder for some time. So this weekend, I started the process because I, I think it's better to kind of do it slowly, uh, less of a shock. Sure. And also, I feel like it's uh, nicer to my hair. But that's not the headline news. I'm not the the headline news is is that I'm not the only one who's currently looks different in this home. And what I wanted to tell you is that my sweet boyfriend Spencer got an audition where he has to be somebody from the seventies. And oh boy. So he has shaved a very full mustache. Oh. And like Tom Selleck full. Like like Tom Selleck in his prime wow. oh. full mustache. Tom Selleck in his prime. Well, uh, yeah, get out of my head because it is conflicting for me. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because I I look at him and I am aroused and I don't want to be, but I am. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I shouldn't like this, but I do. And then I feel weird. So there's that, which is, again, like, it just feels, again, like like a conflict. The other funny thing is, too, all jokes aside, is that I keep forgetting that he has it. And then he'll like come in a room, and I'm just like, ah, like it's like it's, just, it's always a surprise. Uh huh. Uh huh. But listen, I said this to him, and I think you are the only other person I know on the planet that will get this reference. Sure. And I am not saying that he looks like this person because he doesn't, but for some reason, him and the mustache is—he's just reminding me of the cop in Speed. Do you remember? <laughs> I guess they fell behind. <laughs> I knew you'd know. Yeah. I knew you'd know immediately. Yeah. I'm not yes. I'm not kidding. There, there are so many quotable things in Speed. But oh, for yeah. some reason that I have not figured out, that line is my favorite quote in the whole movie. Doesn't even make sense. I never ever have a need to use it in conversation but i do anyway there's something about the way he says it that makes me laugh so hard it's my favorite part of that movie it shouldn't be but it is i didn't know that yeah and he's my probably fourth favorite character in that whole movie and he's literally in it like twice fourth favorite well Well, who comes first keanu keanu 100 percent. and then Uh, jeff daniels a hundred percent I like Sandy a, B. You, you have to. Yeah, you have to like the Wildcat. And then I and guess then, they fell behind. I don't even know his name. Does he have a name? I don't either. I don't know. He, of yes, no, he would have to have a name. I mean, everybody does. Well, he might be like police officer or SWAT, oh, I thought SWAT you, team two. I thought you meant in real life. And I was oh, like, no, yes. I think he has a name. I, I know he has a name. I meant maybe... He, he yes. doesn't have much of a name in the credits, but that I, I don't he, know. No, I think he had a. I think he had like a more important part because I feel like there's deleted scenes that he had a bigger kind of role in. It's possible. I mean, obviously, I, I need to rewatch again. I watch it every year. I 
Me too. I it's, can't stop. It's one of my yeah. favorites. Me too. Absolutely. It's up there. Uh, but yes, I love that I didn't even have to get any more of a description out. You knew exactly who I was talking about. And again, yeah. Spencer doesn't look like him at all, but there was something about like his essence that just immediately I was like, oh, you could play that part. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like that's <laughs> that was the vibe that yeah. I got. The mustache has a presence. <laughs> yeah. And it's and presence I feel... is SWAT team. Yep. Yeah. Reading the yeah. map. Yep. Yeah. Sass. A little bit yeah. of a dick. You know what I mean? Sarcastic when he shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah. I get it. All I'm saying is, is that I got a new roommate here and uh, I don't know how to feel about him. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. my husband, you know, a few times throughout the course of our relationship has started like facial hair. Um, but it just gets to the point of he... He doesn't do it on purpose, only laziness. Um, he'll get to a point of like, he's just not feeling it, doesn't want to shave, whatever, whatever. And then it goes on long enough that I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. And then he'll shave it and it's like, oh, okay, there we go. There we go. We're back to it. Right. I just, it, de- it depends on the beard. Again, though, I was always like, oh, I don't, I'm not a fan of a beard. And then Jensen Ackles released photos of what he looks like in the boys. <laughs> I don't know how to feel. But I it's know that large beard. It's it's uh I don't even have words for it. I just know the swimsuit area is uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, it's it's all I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. There's a, a just a light tingle for sure. Yeah, he looks great. <laughs> he looks great. He does. He does. It's nice to see him thriving. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not normally into that big a beard either, but it is interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna think about that. Um, <laughs> that was probably one of the creepier things I've said on this show. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna think about that. Anyway, <laughs> I like the the dirty tone that with yeah, you know that came out of it. Yeah. Uh, now, listen, before we get into uh, the episode, which I've got to say I'm very excited about, and we'll get, it, get to that in a second, uh, this just made the penny drop for me, speaking about speed, which, let's get honest, if you've listened to this show before, dear listeners, it comes up fairly often, <laughs> um, because we love it, but yeah. we, <laughs> Christy and I, had this airbrained scheme. Remember? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because we we believe, and I'm not going to add a D on the end and make it seem past tense. I think we still do believe it's sure. on it's it's an ongoing belief. Sure, um, that we need to get you and Keanu Reeves to meet. Yeah, I I think he is such a talented actor. Like, and I I know that he gets a bad rap and people make fun of like how he talks and stuff. I think he is insanely talented and I think yes. his like choices are interesting and I think that he is so natural on camera and and yes. that I think his the way he that's the way he talks and like it would be more bizarre if he was trying to affect a voice to me or a pattern of talking and so <laughs> Oh, Christy and I sometimes like go on these tangents with one another, usually over text. Uh, and we were like, well, listen, gosh, it'd be great if, if the two of us could be in a movie together, but how would we meet? 
And then this like insane scheme came up. How did it start? Like what was the what was the beginning of the grift? I think the general idea was we wanted you to meet naturally. Right. But we knew that wasn't going to happen, so it had to be an artificial natural situation. Right. Yeah. Which I'm aware isn't a thing. Yep. And so we're like, well, we just need you to go you we need you to casually meet on the street. Sure. But how do we know? You know, how we're we're not just gonna like wait near his home. No, we're not gonna stalk this person. That's right. And so it's like we need to think of a way. And so it was like, you know what, he's such a good guy. I bet if he found one of your pets, he'd return them and call you like right away. And so and so then it wasn't it. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Wasn't it that you were showing up with, with the pet and being like, can I use oh your phone? Oh my God, you're right. You're yeah, right. No, At no, point, there was a deeper was... grift to this. <laughs> I was supposed to show up in a hat and a wig <laughs> because if if you two hit it off, he would meet me in the future. Right. So and I, need... I was, again, we can't risk that. No. So I had to be hat and wig and yep. show up. Uh, in probably a full tracksuit and be like, yeah. I was just out power walking um, <laughs> and happened upon this poor animal just outside your home. So I assume it's your animal. Right. And then obviously it would be like, oh, it's not. Does it, does it have some sort of tag? And I'll be like, oh, it does. Oh, but you know what? I don't bring my phone with me when I power walk. So, <laughs> so I- Even would... though in the hills and <laughs> In California, you really should <laughs> for safety. But yes, I mean, no. Again, yeah. this character, she's yeah. Again, she's she makes different choices. She's not the best with technology. Of course, it's, it's the one part of myself I'm bringing to that character. And I see again, you're an yeah. actor at heart. Yeah. Well, and that was the. I think that was the whole thing. Was like, once I get in the door, then it was like you call this right. person. And- and then you were like, well, I can't keep this dog. I've got to continue my power walk. <laughs> and it's like, clearly he'll be home. He'll have the time and he'll hang on to the dog until I get there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because really what I'm going to do is once I've left the dog there, I then power walk somewhere far enough away that he thinks I'm gone. And I wait till you come because you are obviously somewhere nearby pick up the dog and then assuming things don't go really well right out the gate then you just come around the corner and pick me up (laughs) and then he will go on his own power walk and find just a wig and glasses (laughs) and a hat laying on the sidewalk and think ah that's weird what i like is that i said the statement we'd never stalk somebody that's insane because this grift isn't even more insane oh gosh listen we're not actually gonna do this people we're not we're not you know we're not unhinged but it's fun it's fun to write a story isn't it i you know and i believe the people know by now i i like a story i like i like to write a story i like to see you know a photo of a celebrity and then just immediately mentally write a story of how we're somehow together in the future. 
And what I love about me for this story was that I was like, yeah. oh, I wrote a script and I really want to somehow be able to meet him to get him to be in it. And Christy's like, well, maybe there's more. And I'm like, no, but there's not, though. <laughs> She's like, yeah, 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 but I'll, be, I'll wait around the corner as long as you need. And I'm like, no, but I'm good. <laughs> the point uh, is I'm going to have to power walk home. <laughs> Well, that's Blanche's dream. Blanche likes to Blanche for others, which is what I'm learning. Blanche is so supportive of Blanchin. Yeah. Like, I just, I think she just wants the world to accept their inner Blanche. Yeah. Branch out and accept the Blanche. And maybe Blanche out. Blanche out. I think that's the slogan. (laughs) Blanche out. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not hurting anyone, daydreams hurt no one. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, listen, on that note, what a joy. Now, this episode I am very excited about, mostly because, again, you want to talk about beaming with pride. Don't pardon the pun. This episode is called Targeted by Hate. The full title I wanted to be Targeted by Hate, Christy Christy Oxborough Investigates. Let me try that again. Targeted by hate, Christy Oxborough investigates. See, it sounds, it's like a Dateline headline. It is. And the reason I am so jazzed is because this episode, Christy put together herself. So other episodes, like the first one we did for for Pride Month, uh, Deep Water, obviously that was a documentary uh, that she then researched. But this, she started with just an idea and a blank screen. And I am so excited that you're, you're really, you know, dipping your toe in creating your own kind of content, your, your own narrative. I mean, that is very impressive. Yeah, I, I got carried away with this one. <laughs> you? No. I know, I know. The problem, the problem is when you have a norm, like a regular episode, like we recently did, uh, the one I researched before this was Natalie Wood. Right. And so it's like Natalie Wood, it's like, okay, so there's a box. Anything Natalie Wood fits in this box. But when you do an episode that doesn't have a box, <laughs> it, it there's a reason that I mention, and I, I am scared to say this number off the top because I will frighten a lot of listeners. I, I, I mentioned 65 victims throughout this. Wowzer. Yeah. And it, it could have been twice that, but she had to be reeled in at some point. Yeah. And uh, oof, oof, there's a there's a lot. So, I mean, I, I, I've learned, it, it was a learning experience because I've learned no matter what it is, you got to make a box. The box can be a little flexible if you need to put in a few more things, but always start with a box, yeah. a metaphorical box, if you will, to make I sure like, you know that things are going to fit in. I like a Rubbermaid. Oh, I'm obsessed. The amount of things in my home that are in some sort of a plastic Rubbermaid tub. Yep. You know, I can't, I can't be stopped. Listen, I wouldn't want you to be. Now, listen, is there anything else that you want to get to before we jump into it? I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to run with it and we're going to see what's going to happen. I'm just... It's one of the longer ones that I've printed out. We're just going to hope for the best. We're going to we're going to hope for the best. 
All right, everybody, here we go. Episode targeted by hate, Christy Oxborough investigates. Let's get into it. In honor of Pride Month, we have chosen episodes that focus on members of the LGBTQ plus community. In the first week, we focused on male victims in Australia. So this week, we are focusing on female victims around the world. Nearly 64% of countries worldwide have decriminalized consensual same-sex activity. However, as of June 2021, there are still 71 countries with laws against homosexuality, including 11 countries that can impose the death penalty for it. So join us as Christy takes us on a journey through 14 states, 18 countries, and a whopping 39 cases as we deep dive the heartbreaking brutality of homophobia. Well written. Oh, you know what that is? That's a communications degree right there. <laughs> Isn't that the joke? Like, didn't we make a comment like into at some point early on in uh, after doing a, only a, like a handful of episodes? It was like, oof! It's almost like I'm using that degree, and then we kind of laughed about it, and then it was like, oh, I guess a little bit. And <laughs> it, that's just yes. where we're at. That's just where we're at. Absolutely. Oh boy. Well, this is going to be a real emotional roller coaster who knows what we're gonna what we're gonna find we're just gonna go with it let's do it i'm ready i am going to add a disclaimer just in case uh, murder and assaults are never pleasant to hear about but some of these cases might go a little darker than usual some may say if the cases are really bad don't talk about them at all and i did contemplate not mentioning some of them but then decided it was important to mention them because not only do the victims deserve recognition, but also the crimes, especially the ones that are the hardest to hear, are a reminder of just a fraction of what the LGBTQ plus community has had to endure. I would also like to take a moment to give a shout out to a dear member of our true crew. I am not as up to date as I should be on certain terminology, so I wasn't aware that the term lesbians is seen as a bit outdated by some and that the more currently acceptable term is WLW, or woman-loving woman. Uh, so shout out to Anna, and thank you for helping me with this, and thank you for all that you do for us behind the scenes. Just know that you're appreciated. I love it. Now, my original plan for this episode was to focus on couples in the WLW community. However, after going down numerous rabbit holes, I ended up adding in a few other cases that may not seem relevant to the topic, but in the end, oh lord, I really hope this all makes sense. <laughs> I'm sure it will. So, there. this is definitely the most victims I have ever mentioned in a single episode, and I want to point out that some cases will be talked about in more depth than others purely because of availability of information. Some cases, unfortunately, have very little out there about them, but I wanted to at least mention them. So there is a case that's coming up that there's literally a single article about it, and that's all I could find. But I still wanted to mention it because it's bananas and it was something that was relevant to this. So some things will get talked about more than others. It was not my choice. It was my access, I guess. Of we'll course. Say. Yeah. So even though um, this episode is focusing mostly on women, I'm going to start us off in an unlikely place, a county court judge in Florida by the name of Joseph Q. Tarbuck. Mm. 
Now, Judge Tarbuck died in 2018 at the age of 86. And all the articles I could find about him mentioned he was a prisoner of war in North Korea um, when he was only 18 years old. There was even one particular episode, or article rather that discussing his long career mentioned he presided over numerous divorces over the years and if the women ever ran into him again even years later they would always hug him to thank him because he was just that great of a guy. Oh boy. All of these articles call him a hero and say he was just such an amazing man and I'm not suggesting that he wasn't. What I am suggesting is that he was far from perfect. So I dug a little into this illustrious career and two of his cases stuck out to me. Now, I don't know why this particular person was in jail to begin with. It happened in 1987, so the information online is not really there for it. But 26-year-old Freddie Walker was released on bond from Escambia County Jail by Judge Joseph Tarbuck. Despite the fact that Freddie's estranged wife, Ethel Lee Walker, had said that Freddie had threatened to kill her, Judge Tarbuck released Freddie anyway. Oh, here we go. The next day, someone broke into Ethel's home and she was stabbed 18 times in the chest and neck with a butcher knife. Freddie was arrested for the crime. So maybe that judge didn't use his best judgment. Again, he had a super long, impressive career, and maybe we shouldn't judge him based on that single incident. Well, I don't judge him based on that. I judge him based on this. <laughs> <laughs> October 6th, 1983. John Andrew Ward and Mary Frank Powell married in a civil ceremony. Both were in their 30s and had been married before. The next year, they welcomed a daughter, Cassie. In 1990, John and Mary decided to get divorced, and at the time, six-year-old Cassie lived full-time with her, her mother, Mary. John is okay with that, until he suddenly petitions for full custody years later. In August 1995, Judge Tarbuck granted full custody to John Ward. Mary was allowed standard visitation rights, and her lawyer appealed the decision, but in February 1996, the Florida First District Court of Appeals upheld Judge Tarbuck's decision. So why am I hung up on this? I don't know John and Mary Ward personally. Maybe the judge gave full custody to the parent who would offer the safest environment for the child. But if we may compare the parents for just a moment, Mary Ward loved her daughter so much that she quit her job to focus on helping Cassie th get through school. Cassie had recently been diagnosed with ADD, but with Mary's help, Cassie's grades improved, and she even started winning awards at school. When asked in court, John could not name his daughter's teacher. To go. help make ends meet, Mary rented out part of her house to some of her friends. What about John Ward? Well, apparently he first met Mary in 1983. He had been recently released from prison, a fact that Mary didn't learn until after their honeymoon. Apparently in 1974, John Ward and his ex-wife Judy were leaving a restaurant when they started to have an argument about their children. They were divorcing and disagreed on custody arrangements. So they're arguing in the middle of a parking lot. And this is now John describing the event. Quote, I wanted her to give me my divorce and custody of my daughter. And she told me she'd see me in hell first. And I told her, save me a seat. 
and then I shot her three times in the upper left shoulder. She told me not to kill her. She would give me the baby and a divorce. I fired three times, point blank, into her heart. And then I reloaded and I shot her six more times, point blank. Oh my god! Judy was shot a total of 12 times. Oh, wow. So John was found guilty of second-degree manslaughter and served eight years in prison, which is a bigger question than I have, but I don't yeah, have we the time for that We today, don't have time, but, but yeah, there's some, yeah. Yep, yeah. I have a Ugh. lot of questions and concerns about that. Me too. I mean, he reloaded, he emptied the gun, he reloaded it and emptied it again, even after she begged him, and then, yep, he only did eight years. It's fine. So... John was also allegedly a massive racist. Oh, boy. He had once threatened to disown his daughter if she ever came home with a black man. Ugh. And his teenage daughter said, quote, I brought a friend of mine over, a black girl. He was like, get that goddamn out of my yard. I refuse to use the word he used. I think we can all fill in that racist yeah. blank. And if the racism... And the murder charges weren't enough. In 1989, a teenage girl claimed that John Ward had molested her. He, of course, denied it, and charges were never brought, so Judge Tarbuck just kind of ignored it, even though the teenage girl in question was John's daughter from his first marriage. Stop! So just to sum up, John Ward spent years in prison for the murder of his first wife. There were claims that he potentially molested his daughter, and that he was a racist piece of shit. Oh, and at the time, John was $1,400 behind on child support payments. But he was still granted custody over Mary, simply because Mary was in a relationship with a woman. Mary started dating a woman in 1992, and up to that point, Mary said that John had minimal contact with Cassie, but when John learned of the WLW relationship he immediately petitioned for full custody as he believed that Mary's lifestyle, quote, made her an unfit mother. And somehow, this hero judge felt that John would provide a more stable home. John, who at this point was on his fourth marriage, keeping in mind that uh, Mary was his second wife, so in the two years between their divorce and then him going for custody, he had then married somebody else and divorced her and married somebody else. Uh, his fourth wife was named Rita. Judge Tarbuck said, quote, apparently she's a good woman. There's been nothing derogatory said about her. I would also like to note that during his final decision, the judge mentioned that John's new wife was apparently this great woman, but said nothing about John's history of murdering his ex-wife. The judge, however, did say, quote, this child should be given the opportunity and the option to live in a non-lesbian world. Oh. Yep. Another great quote from the judge. I don't think that this child ought to be led into that lesbian relationship before she has a full opportunity to know that she can live another lifestyle if she wants to and not be led into this lifestyle just by virtue of the fact of her living accommodations. Because if you live in the same house as someone who might be gay, well, automatically, that's, you're looking at your future. Of course, yes, so, contagious. Yeah, well done, wow. Judge. Well 
Well done. You know, it's interesting because I know the theme of the episode and that yeah. whole time I was still like, what could it be? Why didn't she get the custody? It doesn't it doesn't add up. Like, where is this? Like, it didn't even occur to me because it's I mean, again, that's because I, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 it's a bit that's a bigger point. It's because I'm, you're I'm a sure decent later, human but, being. Well, yeah, I, yeah, but but again, it's like, but they, I forget that it's like, man, this this shit it was going on then, and it goes on now, and wow, oh, that is yeah, we, horrific. We uh, at some point in my notes have a case from about six weeks ago. Oh dear! So things just <laughs> keep on trucking. Okay, yep, yep they wow. do. And just just when we think that this case isn't going to get any sadder. While Mary's lawyers petitioned for another hearing, Mary died in January 1997 of a heart attack at just 47 years old. The belief is that the stress of it all just ended up being too much. Wow. One of Mary's lawyers said, quote, being a parent has always been Mary's first identification. Her children are her first priority. Having her fitness as a parent questioned has been the most devastating thing to her. So... Similar to Mary's case was the landmark custody battle over 20-month-old Tyler Dustu in Virginia. When Sharon Bottoms was 18 years old, she married Dennis Dustu. I'm sure that's not how that's said, but eh. The couple separated a few months later and Sharon discovered that she was pregnant. On July 5th, 1991, Tyler Dustu was born. Dennis chose not to be involved in raising his son. Sharon lived with her mother, Kay Bottoms, for the first few months of Tyler's life. At a Memorial Day picnic in 1992, Sharon met April Wade. The couple began dating, and in September of that year, Sharon and Tyler moved in with April. A month later, Sharon and April had a commitment ceremony. In April 1993, Kay Bottoms sued her daughter, Sharon, for custody of Sharon's son, Tyler. Sharon testified that Kay's boyfriend, who lived with Kay during Sharon's childhood, had molested Sharon when she was 12. Kay claimed, oh, she wasn't aware of that. Sharon's ex-husband, Dennis, testified on Sharon's behalf, saying that Kay Bottoms was, quote, cold-hearted, and that being in a WLW relationship is, quote, no reason to take a child from his mother. And while even Dennis gets it, Apparently, Judge Buford Parsons didn't get it, as he ruled that Sharon was an unfit parent. On April 5th, 1993, Judge Parsons ruled that Sharon was unfit simply because she was a WLW. Parsons said, quote, the mother's conduct is illegal. Her conduct is immoral and renders her an unfit parent. Parsons based his ruling on the fact that homosexual activity was illegal in Virginia at the time, and it remained so until 2003. Sex ed lesson side note. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, here we go. The Supreme Court ruled in Lawrence v. Texas in 2003 that it is unconstitutional to bar consensual sex between adults, calling it a violation of the 14th Amendment, which, of course... We all totally know, without checking Google, is the no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property? Of course. (laughs) Of course. Uh, The Supreme Court decision, combined with anti-discrimination laws, effectively invalidated any remaining sodomy laws. 
However, it still remains illegal in 16 states as of 2020. And of those 16, three, specifically Kansas, Kentucky, and Texas, solely target same-sex activity. And in Virginia, oral sex was classified as a felony, whether performed by same-sex couples, straight couples, or anyone else, until 2014. And you can't tell me that there weren't blowies all over the place in Virginia up until 2014. Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to shock you and say there is everywhere. Well, that's, uh, yes. But yes, yes. I just, yeah. again, I think a lot of people hear the word sodomy and they're like, okay. And it's like, but it includes oral sex and it also, it includes regardless of who the people are participating in the oral, it's included in that. So yeah, straight folks, what you were doing wasn't legal. <laughs> so. Felony. Yeah. You know what? I also, I, I love that we're this, we're, we're not even, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're so near to the beginning and very quickly, I just want to say something and it's very rare that I'll get on a soapbox, but yeah. isn't it also interesting that, you know, and, and listen, I don't know the exact stats on what states or whatever, but I just pose again that it's like, but that's also something that isn't going to get a woman pregnant and that's illegal, but then it's also illegal to get an abortion in many states still, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like. It's just interesting to me that it's it's like oh like like the the policing of sexual pleasure, um, and I know that this is going completely off topic, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's just such yeah. a it's such an interesting um, and antiquated way of looking at things. And yeah, still wow. Yeah, you <sighs> say you say off topic. I use the term blowies. <laughs> When 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 we're speaking, uh, I said we would focus on women. I also just thought the term blowies was hysterical to me. And I was like, yeah, well, I can't be stopped. It wasn't in my notes. That was just in my heart. <laughs> there weren't blowies in my notes. There were blowies in my heart. <laughs> Jeez. I, and I know that that's true. Bless you. Bless you. Uh, how come I can't? think of them without thinking about Samantha from Sex in the City going, they call them a job for a reason. <laughs> it's true. God, she was the best on that show. I can't believe they're going to try and do a revival without her. Well, we'll see. Yeah. So back to Sharon's case. Oh, gosh. The shitty judge found Sharon to be an unfit mother based solely on her sexual preference. So Kay was awarded custody of her grandson. Sharon was allowed visitation rights two days a week, but Tyler was not allowed in his mother's home or to have any contact with his mother's partner. Sharon filed an appeal and Kay went on Sally Jesse Raphael to claim that her daughter was, quote, doing drugs, she partied, she wasn't, she just wanted to have a good time, and, quote, I've threatened her many times that I was going to take him. So Kay goes on TV and tells the world that she just wants Tyler in the safest environment. But then during the appeal, Kay showed her true colors by arguing that Tyler could grow up not knowing the difference between men and women if he was allowed to live with his mother. Oh, my God. In 1994, a Virginia Court of Appeals panel ruled unanimously that Sharon should have primary custody of her son, saying, quote, 
The fact that a mother is a lesbian and has engaged in illegal sexual acts does not alone justify taking custody of a child from her and awarding the child to a non-parent. But don't get too excited just yet. Because Sharon's mother filed an appeal during which the custody arrangements remained unchanged and in 1995 the case reached the Virginia Supreme Court where in a 4-3 to three decision the court determined the moral climate in Sharon's home made her an unfit custodian at this time. Justice A. Christian Compton wrote, quote, Living daily under conditions stemming from active lesbianism practiced in the home may impose a burden upon the child by a reason of social condemnation attached to such an arrangement. Fuck that guy, by the yep. way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kay Bottoms was granted permanent custody of Tyler. And I know that these cases aren't technically true crime, but I wanted to give some examples of the layers of garbage and persecution that members of the LGBTQ plus community deal with every day. It's also not in my notes, but I will say uh, a few years ago, Sharon did pass. I believe oh. I believe she had cancer, but her son made a very lovely post about uh, how difficult it is to say goodbye to his first best friend. So oh. there's something very lovely about she didn't she had her she was basically down to just two days a week visitation rights but in the end they still ended up with a close relationship so i obviously sharon uh never gave up you know yeah just as a mother i know you know i know yeah how can you go from blowies to just (laughs) It it was a quick turnaround, I will be honest with you. It was quick. That's what the magic is with this show, because you don't know what you're going to get. Nope. And I apologize to anyone uh, who may laugh in public at the term blowy. I swear it won't come up again. Don't swear that. You know what? I can't, because now once I give myself a limit where I can't, who knows? But I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. I just find the word. I find the word to be hilarious. Uh, now, while some people may be saying, but Christy, those cases you mentioned happened in the 90s. We've come such a long way since then. And honestly, before I started researching for this episode, I truly believed we had come so far from that sort of discrimination. But during my research, I realized just how naive I was. Mm. Yes, we've come a long way, but there are so many cases that reminded me of just how much further we still have to go. And while there are far too many instances to mention individually in our allotted time, I wanted to point out some specific examples that reminded me of things that a lot of us just take for granted. So we have Jamie and Krista Contreras, a married couple living in Detroit when they welcomed their daughter, Bay in February 2015. And like any parent, Jamie and Krista had specifically handpicked the pediatrician who would care for their child. On February 18th, 2015, Jamie and Krista took six-day-old Bay to her first doctor appointment. But when the couple was waiting in the office, a different doctor came in to say their doctor, uh, the doctor they had requested, couldn't see them. When they pressed the issue further, the doctor said, quote, well, she prayed on it and she decided she just can't do it. Uh. So in 2015, a doctor could choose to not do their job because they don't agree with the parent's lifestyle. 
At the time, Michigan was one of 30 states that lacked clear laws to protect LGBTQ plus Americans from discrimination because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. And one just has to Google LGBTQ plus discrimination and you'll be overwhelmed by the sheer number of cases that come up. And that's just the amount of times that these discriminations are actually reported. Now, I couldn't find a year on when this happened, but the couple was legally married in D.C. and same-sex marriage has been legal in D.C. since December 2009, so I assume it's happened since then. So Mandy and Kristen Canfield get married, and Kristen changes her name with the Social Security Administration and then goes to change her name at the Enrico County DMV in Virginia. However, since the state did not recognize same-sex marriage at the time, the DMV refused to let Kristen change her last name. She was told she could she would have to go through a legal name change, which involves court proceedings, just to have her name changed on her license. Kristen then goes to another DMV, and guess what? They changed her name, no questions asked. So she contacts the original DMV to clarify whether or not they grant name changes to same-sex couples through marriage. And she was told, quote, There is no reason why any DMV would not accept a same-sex name change provided the proper documentation is provided. She brought her marriage license with her. She had the proper documentation. So just a case of a homophobic employee. Homophobic like Phyllis Young the owner of Aloha Bed and Breakfast in Hawaii. In 2007, Diane Cervelli and Taiko Buford were in Hawaii visiting a friend. They booked a room at the Aloha Bed and Breakfast, but when they specified they would only need one bed, Phyllis told them she was uncomfortable giving a room to a same-sex couple. Oh my God. And canceled the reservation. Stop. Diane and Taiko filed complaints with the Hawaii Civil Rights Commission, who found that Phyllis had illegally discriminated against the couple. Phyllis argued that she was able to turn away gay couples because of her religious beliefs, and the case was then put before the Supreme Court, who also found that Phyllis violated the state's anti-discrimination law by refusing to rent a room to an LGBTQ plus couple. And not only are same-sex couples being denied a place to stay, they're also being denied a place to live. In 2016, 68-year-old Bev Nance and 72-year-old Mary Walsh were rejected from a retirement home in Missouri, ironically called Friendship Village. Oh, boy. Bev and Mary had been in a committed relationship for approximately 40 years and were married in Massachusetts in 2009. When the couple applied to move into the Friendship Village senior living facility, they did so because it was in their community, they have friends who are living there, and it offers services that would allow them to stay there together for the rest of their lives. But once the staff at Friendship Village found out that Bev and Mary were married, their housing application was rejected, citing the cohabitation policy defines marriage as, quote, between one man and one woman, as marriage is understood in the Bible. Ugh. Bev and Mary took Friendship Village to federal court in 2018, but the case was dismissed. The couple appealed and have since reached a confidential settlement with the facility. Bev and Mary now live in an assisted living facility in the St. Louis area. 
Now, as I continued to look into the LGBTQ plus discrimination, I noticed that one of the most common discriminations that seems to continuously come up involves weddings, which is very heartbreaking to me because a wedding is supposed to be one of the happiest times in a person's life, and time and time again, homophobic assholes keep rearing their ugly heads. So I'm sure most of our listeners recall the 2012 case of the Colorado Bakery Masterpiece Cake Shop, who refused to make a cake for the wedding of Charlie Craig and Dave, David Mullins, claiming they did not create wedding cakes for marriages of gay couples due to their Christian religious beliefs. The couple got the Colorado Civil Rights Commission involved, and the case was decided in favor of the plaintiffs, following appeals that just affirmed the commission's decision the bakery took the case to the U.S. Supreme Court, and in a 7-2 decision, the court reversed the commission's decision. And while I don't agree with the Supreme Court's decision, this was 2012. But on June 26, 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down an all-state ban on same-sex marriage, making it officially legal in all 50 states, and required states to honor out-of-state same-sex marriage licenses. So since same-sex marriage was now legal, the discrimination in the wedding industry against same-sex couples stopped, right? Well, Desiree Reyes and Alex Biddle got engaged in August 2019. While researching wedding venues in California, they reached out to the Viaggio Estate and Winery, who responded with a very lengthy response. So I'm going to pare it down and paraphrase it a little bit here. Quote, while we welcome your business, we have never hosted a same-sex marriage. The owner understands that California statutory law prohibits discrimination based on sexual orientation, and they don't like to think they would ever discriminate on that basis, even if a law allowed them to do so. However, the owner also has a very strong personal religious belief regarding marriage, which is for marriage to be between heterosexual couples only. The venue then offered to let the couple have their reception there, as long as the couple chose to officially marry somewhere else, because, quote, <laughs> it is the actual ceremony that would be violating their personal religious <laughs> beliefs. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, of course, this went viral on Facebook, and California media personality Nikki Levy got involved and put the venue's bigotry in a spotlight, which resulted in the venue releasing the following public statement. Viaggio Winery welcomes all couples, regardless of gender or sexual orientation, to our winery and wedding venue, including all wedding ceremonies. It is our hope that all will feel welcomed and respected at our winery. Well, according to their wedding website, Desiree and Alex were married in Vegas in April 21. <laughs> so kudos to them. I mean, congratulations to the couple. But also, I love that they were just like, fuck that. We're oh, not dealing with you. So Yeah, I could see that absolutely being mm. like, this is too much, yeah. too much. We're going to go to And to the Vegas. Uh, Viaggio, I hope I'm saying that wrong, mm. uh, winery, <laughs> I, I hope you get a bad crop of grapes. And you can ride the toe of my boot. <laughs> I love how, can, how Canadian was that? Like, yep. oh, I hope your grapes are bad. 
But you know what I also love very quickly? Yeah. Like I like the true ignorance of the statement that it's like it's just the ceremony that would be a, like that's the problem. It's like, oh, OK, so hold on. So if we go get actually married in the in the, the broom closet and you don't see it, then it's not a problem for you. Like, what yeah. the fuck? That, that, that is just so backwards to me. There is a part of me that's like if I was in that situation, would I be like, you know what? great we'll just have the reception there and then i'd show up and be like and by reception i mean and wedding and then just be like oh this this is the person that's gonna marry us try and stop me yeah but again like i'd like to think i'm that ballsy but i'm i'm not and also why i don't want to fight on my wedding day which is why probably that lovely couple went and got married in vegas so i want them to be happy and their grapes to be good i just want the winery's grapes to rot go how, what 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 like well, i want them i want i want them to experience an early frost there you go yep <laughs> is that a bad thing for grapes yeah well it depends but yeah 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 well may frost rain down on your grapes and your butts rain down on the toe of my boots <laughs> <laughs> oh there is so much grandma in this podcast i couldn't be happier yeah she loves it uh, also denied a wedding venue is North Carolina couple Casey Mayfield and Brianna May. The couple got engaged in November 2020 with the hopes to have a wedding in fall 2022. When they started looking at local venues, they contacted the warehouse on Ivy and were told that the venue did not host same-sex marriage ceremonies. The email response stated, quote, we will allow anyone of any color, race, religion, or belief to use our venue at any given time. Although we love and respect everyone in our community, their own decision-making and beliefs, we also strongly believe in our Christian values. But then you don't. No, but I know. then you don't love everyone in your community. Yep. You choose it. Pick a, pick a lane. Be a bigot or don't. You can't have it both ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to get riled up in about a page. Yeah, I'm, I'm already going. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the couple posted the response on social media. It goes viral. Soon after, the venue took down its Facebook and Instagram pages. Casey and Brianna said they aren't considering legal action at this time. Uh, another wedding venue with strict Christian beliefs is Belafobos. I hope I'm saying that wrong. In South Africa. <laughs> Engaged couple Megan Watling and Sasha Lee Heeks reached out to the venue and were told the venue does not host weddings between couples of the same gender. Which is weird, because this happened in 2020, and same-sex marriage have been legal in South Africa since 2006. So it gets out that this place won't allow a same-sex wedding, and people start calling the owners homophobic. But according to the owners... They aren't the least bit homophobic. This is a statement that was on the venue's website. Quote, It is our conscience before God which prohibits us from hosting any other kind of marriage on our property. Not a fear or hatred of homosexual people as we have been unfairly accused of for us to host and thereby enable or celebrate a same-sex marriage in quotation marks would be a dishonor and disobey God, potentially with eternal consequences. <laughs> oh, boy. Just piece of shit. You can't hide behind God, lady. 
No. You're a piece of shit homophobic person. My dream is is that that if there is a God, that then these people will get to heaven and then God will be like, you were wrong. (laughs) I never intended any of this. You going down south. (laughs) I, I want, I want the full, like, you're walking on a cloud. There's a gate. There's a lineup. You've got your, you've pulled your ticket like at a deli counter and you're holding your number. You're like, here we go. Oh, someone just high five God. And they walked in. Can't wait. You're getting your hand ready to high five. You're all jazzed for it. And then you're like, Hey God, high five. And then God's like checking the file. Like, Oh, woof. So (laughs) let me get this straight. (laughs) And like, even like the looks down over their glasses and like, Ooh, (laughs) Yeah, like, ah, ah. so I I keep getting this constantly that people are saying I'm like this. Why do you you think I'm like this? I just, like, did you read the Bible? (laughs) Um, yeah, I just, again, she likes a story. It was Um, misquote after misquote in there, okay? Yeah. It's just, meanwhile, there's a foam party going on in there. (laughs) (laughs) I just, uh, it's just everybody who's like, we are going to do our best to just do what God wants. And obviously, that is not to deal with same-sex marriages. And it's like, you really think that was his line, huh? That's like the line that he's like, I wouldn't cross that. And it's like, oh my God, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I'm just over it. Uh, and one more before we move on to actual true crime cases. It's not just wedding venues that can be homophobic. Apparently, it's also wedding videographers. In Ontario, that's in Canada, Kelly Roberts posted a screenshot of an email she received in 2020 from Kara Hamstra at Caramount Pictures. The email stated, quote, We do not film homosexual weddings. In less than a day, Kelly's post received more than 3,600 shares and over 1,600 comments. Some of the comments were from other couples who'd received the exact same bullshit from Caramount. Caramount's Facebook page and website have since been taken down. And again, these are just a few of the countless times that bullshit like this has happened, and the fact that it's still happening currently is enraging and I just can't just just let people get married let them do what they want to do if it makes them happy it's not harming you and also why are you turning down the work isn't it isn't most of that very seasonal work yes especially in Canada so it's like uh, well I hope well, I mean, she's already taken down her pages, so hopefully that means she's not really doing that anymore or she's moved well, on to something else or. Yeah. You know, I think that this is actually like a really great discussion point because I think that for some of us who are not members of LGBTQ plus community, yep. we do have, because because you or I, for example don't have these thoughts or feelings they don't occur to us 
So yeah. we forget that it's like, we think that it's like, oh, there's progress and we're doing better. And yes, there's mm-hmm. some some bad things that still happen, but ultimately we're doing okay and, and we're trying and we're allies. And then when you start to really kind of reflect on this stuff and how recent so much of it is happening, I think this is a mm-hmm. really good reminder for our, um, you know, for our, our cis hetero listeners i think that this is really important to you know have a bit of a have a bit of a check-in and remind ourselves that it's like there's a there's a long long way that has to go and we don't necessarily have this stuff on our minds because we don't deal with it we don't deal with it like people in that community have to deal with it on the micro or on the macro so i think this is great um Listen, I know we're about to get into the true crime, so I know it's only going to get more heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, But let's take a very quick break, grab a drink, grab a snack, and we are going to come back and tell you more on this very special Targeted by Hate, Christy Oxborough Investigates episode (laughs) of True Crime and Cocktails, Famous Fatalities Edition. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation, and let's be honest, most don't taste very good. They don't fill you up, and they certainly don't satisfy your cravings. This episode is sponsored by Monk Pack, who makes snacks that taste like our favorite sugary treats, but with one gram of sugar or less. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain one gram of sugar or less, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories. They're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle and the perfect snack for anyone who's trying to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. Now, for those who follow me on social media, you know that my boyfriend is a very fit man. He lives on bars, okay? And he was blown away by the Monk Pack Bars. (laughs) We got sent a case of them. And let's just say after the first day, there's only a couple left. I'm not kidding. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars have a perfect balance of sweet and salty, a crunch from whole nuts and seeds, but still manage to be soft and chewy. They come in delicious flavors like sea salt dark chocolate, caramel sea salt, and peanut butter dark chocolate. Now, when I asked my boyfriend, he said it's the macadamia white chocolate that does it for him and that he did not believe that there was less than a gram of sugar in there. He said he must have read the label six or seven times because he thought I was pranking him. They're perfect for a quick snack to satisfy your sweet tooth without guilt. Enjoy Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars as a quick breakfast while running errands or after a workout. In addition to being keto-friendly, the bars are also gluten-free, plant-based, and non-GMO, with no soy, trans fat, sugar alcohols, or artificial colors. You can also sign up for a subscription to your favorite flavors, which saves you 10% on every order and ships them to you automatically. Getting them delivered on a regular basis can be a complete game-changer in your effort to eat healthier. So try it for yourself and you'll see. We have a special deal for our listeners, 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting MonkPack.com and entering our code TCC at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, go to MonkPack.com, that's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com, and select any product, then enter the code TCC at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. We thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails, Famous Fatalities Edition. As you know, we are talking about Targeted by Hate, Christy Oxborough investigates. We uh, obviously, again, we had uh, a lot of great insights prior to the break about so many different unbelievable discriminations that are happening against the LGBTQ plus community, even currently. 
Uh, and now I know we are going to start to get into the uh, the more of the true crime aspect. So let's do it. Take it away. Uh, so yeah, we are uh, we're branching now officially into the true crime. Some are going to be a little bit unsettling. Unfortunately, I was able to find so many. I know, that's the thing. I've grouped them into categories for an attempt to make this just all kind of flow better. Uh, so we're going to start with attacks that occurred somewhere in public. 53-year-old Roxanne Ellis and her partner, 42-year-old Michelle Abdul. The couple met while working together at a doctor's office in Colorado. However, after experiencing intense homophobia, they moved to Medford, Oregon in 1990. They enjoyed restoring their craftsman-style house, cooking Mexican meals from scratch, and spending time with Roxanne's three-year-old granddaughter. Mm. Roxanne and Michelle were elected to the board of their church, where they would give lectures at local schools, at fundamentalist Christian churches, and on TV with the message that biblical scripture doesn't condemn homosexuals. This is what I'm talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. While in Oregon, they started a successful property management business. On December 4th, 1995, Roxanne had an appointment to show an apartment to 27-year-old Robert Ackermont. Roxanne's daughter Lori paged Roxanne throughout the day. However, Roxanne didn't respond, which was unusual for her. Then at 4 p.m., Roxanne called Lori to say she was going shopping, which was also very unusual for her. At 5 p.m., Michelle left the office saying she was going to help Roxanne, who called to say her car wouldn't start. Three days later, Roxanne's car was found in a parking lot on the other side of town. Hidden in the back were the bodies of Roxanne and Michelle. They had both been bound, gagged, and blindfolded with duct tape and shot twice in the back of the head. The bodies had been wrapped in drapes and covered in cardboard boxes. At the time of their deaths... Roxanne and Michelle had been together for 12 years. So a witness saw a man park the vehicle. They worked with police to produce a sketch of the potential killer. And thankfully, the case was given intense media coverage. And the suspect sketch was shared with the public. One member of the public called police to say she believed the suspect was her son. Based (laughs) on his recent behavior and his resemblance to the composite sketch. When the woman showed police the labels of cardboard boxes that she had used during her recent move, police were able to match the address labels on those boxes to those that were found covering the bodies. While looking into the woman's son, Robert Ackermont, police found that he was already under investigation for the disappearance of a man in California. Ackermont was tracked down to a hotel in Stockton, California and arrested on December 13, 1995. At the time of the arrest, Ackermont not only confessed to the murder of Roxanne and Michelle, but also to the murder of 23-year-old Scott George, the man who disappeared in California. Ackermont claims that Scott was bisexual and made a pass at him, and this enraged Ackermont, so he shot Scott and dumped his body down a mine shaft near his father's ranch almost two months to the day before Roxanne and Michelle's murders. But Ackermont claimed that robbery was his main motive for killing Roxanne and Michelle. He stated that he had lured the women to the apartment in an attempt to force them to write him $50,000 in checks from their business. And the plan fell apart and that, quote, 
knowing they were lesbians made it easier to kill them. Oh. He, he also declared that he wanted to be executed by lethal injection, which is interesting because just one month later, he tried to plead not guilty. Acremont said that he was having money troubles and that he was also depressed due to the fact that he didn't have enough money to visit his girlfriend, a Las Vegas dancer who went by the name Ecstasy. But wouldn't you know, Ecstasy and Robert weren't actually dating? Mm. In fact, Ecstasy referred to Acrimon as, quote, one of my best customers. Sure. And said he had spent thousands of dollars trying to woo her. Random reality show side note. Ecstasy's real name is Alla Wartenberg, and while she may have been a dancer in 1995, in 2005 she was a contestant on the fourth season of The Apprentice. She made it to the top four, but was fired before, right before the season finale. And if anyone cares, nobody does. Uh, Donald Trump's feelings on her were that she was very, very smart. And that he knew that within the first minute of meeting her. Oh, sure. <laughs> A.K.A. she was pretty. Yeah, exactly. So, Acremont claims that it was a robbery. However, if it was a robbery, then why did Acremont leave the victims' purses, wallets, jewelry, cell phones, and money at the scene? In August 1996, more than eight months after the murders, Acremont wrote a three-page letter to his hometown newspaper claiming his motivation for the crimes, both the murders of Roxanne and Michelle and the murder of Scott George, was hatred of homosexuals prompted by childhood abuse. Acremont said, quote, I've known bisexual women, and that's cool. I have no problem with that. Oh. I have no compassion for lesbians or bisexual or gay men. I can't deal with it. <laughs> what? That's so bizarre. He's He doesn't have a line, or his line moves. I don't know. Yeah, that's really odd. In the letter, Acremont claimed that he'd been plotting to kill Roxanne since the first time he met her, because he could just tell that she was homosexual. He claimed he made up the robbery defense because he feared what inmates might do to him if they learned his murders were actually hate crimes. Right. In September 1996, Acremont pleaded guilty to the murders of Roxanne and Michelle, and he was convicted of aggravated murder, kidnapping, and robbery in the 1995 deaths of Roxanne and Michelle. Jurors deliberated for only four hours before unanimously sentencing Acremont to death by lethal injection. February 2011, an Oregon court declared Acremont was delusional and unable to help in his appeals, so his sentence was reduced to life without parole. However, he was never taken off death row because he was, a, he was convicted of the 1995 murder of Scott George in California. Scott, a Scott. Acremont died of natural causes in prison in October of 2018, and at the time, he was still facing the death sentence for the murder of Scott George. Wow. So we're going to jump to May 11th, 2003, after enjoying a night out in Greenwich Village, 15 year old Sakia Gunn and her three of her friends arrived in Newark and were waiting at a busy corner for the New Jersey transit bus. While they waited, they were propositioned by two adult men, including 28-year-old Richard McCullough. Now, this is already enough to enrage me, a 28-year-old yep. man yep. coming on to a 15-year-old girl. Ugh. So Sakia turns them down, announcing that she is a lesbian and not interested. 
McCullough takes great offense to this and attacks her, stabbing her in the chest before driving off. Sakia's friends flag down a passing driver, and Sakia is taken to a nearby hospital where she dies from her injuries. Oh. McCullough turns himself in days later, and he was officially arrested May 16th, 2003, and while he admitted to calling Sakia the derogatory D-word, he also claimed that she, quote, ran into his knife. Stop it. McCullough was originally indicted under New Jersey's bias crime statute, which means that he would face more than 110 years in prison if he was found guilty. However, McCullough took a plea which dropped the murder charges in exchange for McCullough pleading guilty to aggravated manslaughter, aggravated assault, and bias intimidation. On April 21st, 2005, McCullough was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Moving to Portland, Texas, June 23rd, 2012, a couple found 19-year-old Molly Olgan and 18-year-old Mary Christine Chapa 25 feet below a scenic viewing deck in Violet Andrews Park. Both girls had been shot in the head. A local resident claimed to have heard two loud bangs just before midnight the night before. However, the resident believed that they were just firecrackers. Molly was pronounced dead at the scene, but Christine was taken to hospital where she was listed in stable condition. Christine would survive, however, she would left, be left with paralysis on the left side of her body, as well as severe PTSD. At the time, Molly and Christine had been together for five months and were on a date at the park. Police found two forty-five bullet casings, as well as several recently smoked cigarette butts and various cans and beer bottles at the scene. Nearly two years later, Christine's family received a letter that provided details of the case that had not been released to the public. The letter was wrapped in a Ziploc bags with the words etched into it, quote, I was told to deliver this or die. I can't find her. Please help. Christine's family noted a black sedan driving away from their home the day the letter was delivered. Police found a black sedan was owned by 27-year-old David Malcolm Strickland and his 23-year-old wife, Laura. When police traced Strickland's cell phone through GPS, they found it had been in the area at the time the letter was delivered. The man identified as the shooter in the letter was a man from Utah and a former friend of Strickland's who, the letter claims, had offered a hitman $15,000 to kill Christine. It's, it was said that Molly got the Utah man's order wrong at Taco Bell, where she had been working. The letter claimed the hitman turned down the deal, saying the wrong order wasn't a good enough reason to kill someone. But the Utah man considered Molly and Christine to be, quote, less than people due to their sexuality. Ugh. The letter included a photo and an address for the Utah man. After an interview, police were able to determine the Utah man was not even in the state of Texas at the time of the shooting. Months prior, Strickland had been arrested for burglarizing the home of this friend and supposed shooter. So when police start looking into Strickland, they check his home, they look on his own personal computer, they find a draft of the letter with two exact sentences that to the one that had been dropped off at Christine's family's home. And a ballistics expert said the bullet fragments found at the scene match samples taken from Strickland's 45 caliber. Strickland was arrested along with his wife, Laura, who was charged with evidence tampering, although her charge is later dismissed. 
It is said that Strickland approached the girls at gunpoint, led them to an area of knee-deep grass where he assaulted them, and then bound and shot them execution style. However, Strickland loudly declares he is absolutely not guilty. But despite what Strickland said, he was found guilty of capital murder, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, aggravated sexual assault, and aggravated kidnapping. In September 2016, he was sentenced to life in prison. However, for years, Strickland's attorneys have claimed that the real suspect was a man from Nevada. And in 2018, a pubic hair found on Christine was tested using methods that weren't available at the time of the incident. The same DNA was found on cigarette butts and an energy drink can in the park. And in January 2019, the DNA from the hair was found to belong to the Nevada man. Not David Strickland. No way. But there's still the evidence of the letter on his computer and the ballistics match, which points to him. So Strickland files for an appeal and a judge in 2020 went, nope, and denies him. Whoa. There is no word on whether or not the Nevada man has ever even been interviewed. Oh my God. So 2017, two women were attacked in Dallas, Texas. Love Sieber and Crystal Seats were headed to a pride parade when they were approached by 22-year-old Brandon Holbert. As Holbert is a person without housing, the women believed he was just approaching them for money. Instead, the man began yelling, quote, I see what you're doing. You're a child of Satan and God sees what you're doing. You're going to hell. Holbert took out a pocket knife and chased the woman to a nearby building, cornering them in an elevator before stabbing them repeatedly. Love was stabbed multiple times in the neck, face, oh. forehead, and chest before a bystander stepped in to help detain Holbert. Holbert has since been charged with two counts of aggravated assault, although no hate crimes have been filed. Thankfully, both women did survive. But that's the definition of a hate crime. A hundred percent. I'm going to have a lot of issues later on about hate crimes and not things not being yeah. considered hate crimes when they are very clearly hate crimes. But when you're charged with a hate crime, the penalty is so much worse right than a regular crime so i just i wish they would call it a hate crime when it's a hate crime yeah well when it's that clear when he's yelling about their lifestyle and then stabs them i don't know how that's not a hate crime but crystal clear <laughs> yeah jesus and yeah. also by the way i don't know if 20 years is enough for that guy in new jersey Stabbing oh, and killing that that fifteen year old girl. I don't think that's enough. No, I don't know he, if that's justice. It's honestly. not. It's not. Especially he he's going to spend more time in prison than she gets to spend living yeah. at all. Feels, you know, he should be doing like he should just. I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you kill someone, you're just you're in there for life. That should just be how it is. I think, you know, you know, unless I mean, it's such a nuanced thing. But I think in in a in an aggressor standpoint, like, you know, this isn't yeah. like a self-defense scenario or, oh, of you know course. what I'm saying? But like I'm talking case by case scenario. Yeah. But but, yes. But, but as somebody in this situation, because it's one of those classic like, hey, I want to I want to have sex with you. And then when the man gets turned down, it's you know 
I'm mm. going to kill you. Like, mm. I just think that that's like, bye bye Can we stop having men think that when, because a woman says no, that that gives them any right to be angry or anything because women are allowed to, everyone on the planet is allowed to choose yeah. whether they would like to sleep with someone or not. And if someone says no, then it's like, well, that's their choice. So then go find someone else. I mean, who might the fragility, be the fragility, the fragility of that kind of ego mm-hmm. that you yeah. cannot handle that kind of rejection is fascinating to me, truly. Because yeah. the other thing I would offer to those men is there's somebody out there for everybody. There's a butt for every seat. So who cares? Yeah. Good on you. You shot your shot. You, you, it didn't work out. Good for you. Be a be a gentleman and move on. And guess what? If you have better energy, yeah, you know what I mean. Like maybe the next time, maybe the next time it work out for you. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just I, maybe maybe next time you proposition a woman, leave the knife at home. <laughs> That's you a, know, that is a plea. I yeah I I, maybe. I will co-sign that plea for the love of all that's holy. Yeah, there's Ugh. you know there's. Plenty of fish in the sea, you know? There is. I mean, there's there also is. plenty of garbage in the sea, but that's well, not the point. It's polluted, yeah. That's, that's yeah. not the point. The point is, just, if someone says no, okay. Okay. And walk away. Yeah. Like, it's, again, it's just the fragility that it's it's just mm. not being able to handle any rejection. <laughs> that yeah. is fascinating to me. Yeah. Anyway. To the level of stabbing a woman to death. Like, that is that is wild. And this is me with my psychologist hat on. Do you know what I mean? Like, of course. Like, trying to wrap my head around yeah. what that brain is experiencing and what that ego is experiencing and how tender and fragile that ego is, is chilling to me. Chilling. Yes. Putting Again. that level of weight on that interaction with a stranger. Like that's, you know what I mean? There's so many levels to why I don't think that that person should only be in prison for 20 years. Yeah. I think that that's somebody who has an instability that has a very high percentage of reoffending. I don't think that if, if he gets out, I, I would bet a lot of money that this is not the last time he will commit a violent crime. Um, 100%. A hundred percent. I mean, what did I say? 2003? So he's going to be getting out soon. This is what I'm saying. Like, he should be getting out soon. No. No. Oh, <sighs> I'm sure that my rage will only continue to boil, so please continue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, only, there's only one direction this goes from here. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, so these next three cases have a similar setting and some believe that two of them might be connected oh so october 12 1986 the bodies of 27 year old kathleen thomas and 21 year old rebecca dowski were found inside of kathleen's white 1990 honda civic along the colonial parkway in williamsburg virginia kathleen was in the hatch portion rebecca was in the back seat an autopsy found rope burns on the women's necks and wrists signs of strangulation, and their throats had been slashed. 
Diesel fuel was poured over the bodies and inside the car. However, the car failed to ignite. Their purses and money were found inside the car. So I think we can all assume robbery was not the motive. A clump of hair was found between Kathleen's fingers. However, to this day, the killer remains unidentified. Kathleen was considered to be dynamic, vibrant, and a trailblazer. She graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in the second class ever to allow women. However, since homosexuality was considered to be a security risk to the Navy at the time, Kathleen left the service after a probe into her lifestyle. She went on to become a very successful stockbroker. Good for her. Rebecca was a transfer student to the College of William and Mary. She was described as intelligent, energetic, and a standout athlete. The women were said to be strangled with a nylon-like cord uh, commonly used by boaters. Their throats had been cut by a knife that was so sharp that Kathleen was nearly decapitated. Oh, my God. It is believed the killer put the bodies in the car and drove to that spot on the parkway where it was found three days after the women were last seen. Spent matches were found on the ground near the car, which shows the killer tried to light the car. However, diesel fuel has a higher ignition point than regular gasoline, so the, f- the fuel just never ignited. Kathleen and Rebecca had considered to, were considered to be the first victims of the Colonial Parkway murders. Three other couples were murdered between 1987 and 1989 in the same area. People started wondering, is it a serial killer? Is it not? They were all kind of killed in slightly different ways, but that doesn't mean it's not the same person. Yeah. However, there's a couple that some believe may be connected to the Parkway murders. On May 19th, 1996, 24-year-old Julianne Williams and 26-year-old Laura Winnens set out to hike the Shenandoah National Park in Virginia with their golden retriever, Taj. Geographic landscape side note. Oh, the Shenandoah National Park was founded in 1935 and stretches more than 100 miles or 160 kilometers along the Blue Ridge Mountains. The park covers an area of approximately 197,000 acres, includes mountain streams, more than 500 miles, 804 kilometers of hiking trail, and nearly 80,000 acres of designated wilderness. It is approximately 161 miles, 259 kilometers, from the place where Kathleen and Rebecca were found. Mm. Julianne, known as Julie, was passionate about sports, geology, and helping her community. Julie won the Minnesota State Double Tennis Championship in high school and traveled to Europe in college to study the extinction of dinosaurs. Laura, better known as Lolly, was considered down-to-earth despite coming from a wealthy family. Friends said that Lolly loved microbrew and the band Fish. Hmm. The couple met in 1994 at a charity event for Woods Women. Non-profit side note. Oh, a side note on a side note. (laughs) Woods Women was a nonprofit organization run by women for women that focused on education and adventure travel. It operated from 1977 to 1999 and served more than 8,000 women and 1,200 children during its existence. Huh, I love that. Yeah. So Julie and Lolly go hiking on May 19th, and it is believed that after a day of walking, they pitch their tent off of a horse trail. On May 31st, authorities were notified by Julie's father that the women were missing. So park rangers set out to look for them. Rangers found the women's car parked near Skyland Lodge, and when they began searching the trails, the rangers found Taj, 
completely unharmed, walking around without a leash. On June 1st, half a, about a half a mile from the car, searchers came across a tent and inside was the body of Lolly. Julie's body was found with her sleeping bag and sleeping pad approximately 30 to 40 feet down a small embankment. Both women were bound, gagged, and their throats had been cut. And weirdly enough, tests showed the duct tape that was used on Lolly's wrists was first used on Julie's mouth. Hmm. So I'm not 100% sure on the whole order of how everything went down. Even though the park was full of visitors at the time, the park service waited 36 hours after the discovery to announce the murders, which feels, I don't know, risky if you might have a murderer walking around. Yes! 1.57 million people visited Shenandoah National Park in 1996, so without any DNA left at the scene, finding the person responsible was not going to be easy. A year later, on July 9th, 1997, a Canadian tourist named Yvonne Malbasha was cycling in the area when she was forced off her bike by a man driving a truck. The man tried to get her into his vehicle, but Yvonne fought him off and took cover behind a tree. The man got in his truck and tried numerous times to run Yvonne over. After he left, Yvonne found a park ranger who sent out a description of the attacker. Soon, Daryl David Rice was apprehended as he tried to leave the park. And when he had, he had no previous criminal record, but he had recently been fired for being extremely hostile at his workplace. In 1998, Rice pleaded guilty to the attempted abduction of Yvonne and was sentenced to 135 months in a Virginia federal penitentiary, which is just over 11 years. So it's just, to me, months is how you meant. If it's under a year, you say months. If it's a baby, you can say months. (laughs) If it's 135, use the years. It gets confusing. What are we doing here? Like, I feel like that's somebody trying to make it sound like they got more of a conviction than they did. Oh. <laughs> Instead of saying 10 years, it's like, well, it's more impressive. 130 months or whatever. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, oh, your, your guy only got 24 months. Well, guess what? Yeah, exactly. Mine got 135. <laughs> it's like, we're not talking about big babies. Just stop. Like, yeah, just stop. Stop it. Rice became a possible suspect in Julian Lolly's murders when video surfaced of him entering the park on May 25th and 26th. Despite the video proof, Rice denies even being there. And based on the circumstantial evidence, Attorney General John Ashcroft announced that Rice was being indicted for the murder of Julian Lolly in April 2001. Hmm. And then October 2003, a hair was found at the crime scene it was tested. I believe the hair was found on the the tape that had been covering the women's mouths. Right. Um, before October 2003, the only DNA prosecutors had was mitochondrial DNA, which came from cloth ligatures. The mitochondrial DNA can determine the sex of a person, in this case male, but it couldn't produce a specific profile. Soon after, the case kind of fell apart, and February 2004... A judge dismissed the charges against Daryl David Rice without prejudice, which means he can be charged at a later date. In the years following the discovery of the women's bodies, the National Park Service and FBI joined forces to conduct a nationwide search for their killer 
including following up on an estimated 15,000 leads. But as of June 2021, the case remains unsolved. Wow. So a third case that involves the great outdoors, or not so great in these cases, is the 28-year-old Rebecca White and 31-year-old Claudia Brenner. Rebecca was a student working on her master's degree in business administration, and Claudia was an architecture student. The couple met over breakfast two years before when they were both students at Virginia Tech. On May 13, 1988, Rebecca and Claudia were hiking the Appalachian Trail in Pennsylvania. While the, at the campground in Michaud State Forest, Rebecca met 22-year-old Stephen Roy Carr, who lived in a cave and carried a 22 caliber rifle. Oh, which is Lord. already okay yeah yeah yep. uh car asked rebecca for a cigarette she didn't have one she quickly headed back to the campsite where the couple decided to move to a more private place yeah i'm sure once at the new site rebecca and claudia ate dinner and began to have sex without them knowing car was watching them from 82 feet away he fired eight bullets at the women hitting Claudia five times in the arm, face, head, and neck, and hitting Rebecca twice in the head and back, shattering her liver. The eighth bullet missed. Rebecca was left unable to stand, so Claudia, who had just been shot five times, hiked three miles, or 4.8 kilometers, to the road where she was able to get a ride to a nearby police station. When police arrived at the campsite, Rebecca had died. Assuming that both women had died, Carr left like 25 rounds of ammunition at the scene, along with a knit cap, although in Canada we'd call that a toque, uh, that he had worn. But once it came out that the women had survived and the police were looking for him, Carr hid in a Mennonite community, because Mennonites do not read the newspaper or watch television, so the family giving him shelter had no idea he was a murderer. That is, until a member of the community who secretly did watch TV, (laughs) recognized Carr from a composite sketch on the news and called police, which I want to say is 100% how I would be in one of those communities. I would be like, no TV? Cool. 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 I'm fine with that. What is this large box from Amazon? (laughs) I don't know. It's just supplies. And then I I would have a secret TV. Yeah. hundred percent. A hundred percent I would. Or you'd be sneaking out. You know what I mean? You're sneaking out to go yeah. watch TV at someone else's house or a sports oh, bar or something. If we're both there, one of us owns a TV. Yeah, that's true. I mean, For and sure. then it's just going to be like, you're at her house all the time. It's like, we're best friends. Yeah, exactly. But you're there when she's not. <laughs> but yeah, because we're best friends. Yeah, I would 100% be that person. And I love that guy for being like, he had to weigh the pros and cons. Yeah. Do you admit that you did something you weren't supposed to? And you know what? He made the right call. So kudos to him. Absolutely. During the trial, Carr admitted that the sight of the two women having sex enraged him. And his lawyer tried to claim that, quote, the couple's lesbianism was provocation that caused his client inexplicable rage. Oh, Oh, because he was forced to be a voyeur. He was forced to be a peeping Tom. Yeah. That was, that was against his will that he had to go and sneak from 80 some feet away. That was okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. What a piece of shit. Yeah. Oh, 
There's unfortunately a lot of those in this. I'm sure of it. The judge refused to allow the manner of Rebecca and Claudia's relationship to even be mentioned at the trial, which then forced the defense to cut a deal and accept life without parole. It also meant that Carr's 1991 appeal was denied. Oh. Karma political side note. (laughs) Michael George, who was Carr's lawyer and tried to say that their lesbianism is what provoked him and it was their fault, uh, he tried to run for a seat on the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania as a Republican. Big shock there. Yeah. But during the campaign... His aggressive defense of Carr became a bit of an issue. And in the end, oh, his run wasn't successful. Darn. Uh, Uh, Claudia, who did survive the attack, went on to write a book about the ordeal called Eight Bullets, One Woman's Story of Surviving Anti-Gay Violence. She is now a public speaker and the mother of a son named Reuben, who was named for Rebecca. Oh. Yeah. Uh, And if couples being attacked in public wasn't bad enough, we are moving on to the terrifying idea of couples being attacked in their own homes. Oh, God. Mm Mm-hmm. On August 3rd, 1988, 48-year-old Charlene Randstrom and 32-year-old Brenda Warner were bound and repeatedly stabbed in their apartment in Mm. Nashua, New Hampshire. Two knives were found near the apartment, as well as two blood-stained socks which belong, which the police believed were belonging to the killers. Just three days later, Anthony Barnaby confessed and also implicated David Kaplan as his accomplice. Between 1989 and 1990, there were three trials against Barnaby, each ending in a mistrial. The state's attorney general, John Arnold, said it would be, quote, a poor use of resources to try him again. So charges were then dropped and both men were released and returned to their home country of Canada. Oh, God. In 2010, after attending a cold case training seminar, Detective Frank uh, Bourgeois and Rob McLeod reviewed Charlene and Brenda's file, located evidence and witnesses, retested some of the physical evidence using new technologies, This retesting resulted in finding DNA throughout the crime scene belonging to David Kaplan. The detectives even went up to Quebec, that's in Canada, Thank you. to interview witnesses and the suspects. The information collected combined with the new DNA evidence allowed police to get arrest warrants for Kaplan and Barnaby in May 2011. However, it took almost four years to get those assholes extradited to the States in order to face the murder charges. So their piece of shit lawyer comes in and says, quote, this is a terrible injustice to separate a man from his family just to be tried a fourth time. (laughs) And while four times does seem extreme, and for those screaming at home, yes, double jeopardy laws do exist in both Canada and the U.S., which means that someone can't be tried twice for the same crime if there is a final determination, but when a jury is deadlocked, Double jeopardy rules do not apply. Apparently, witnesses say Charlene and Brenda had complained that Barnaby and Kaplan were stealing cable from their apartment, which led to Barnaby threatening the couple and uttering anti-gay slurs at them the day before their bodies were discovered. Witnesses also say the suspects harassed the women for weeks due to their sexual preference. 
Kaplan pleaded guilty to two counts of second-degree murder in February 2018 and received 20 to 40 years in prison. He also agreed to testify against Barnaby. Barnaby agreed to take an Alford plea, which some may recall from episode 31, The Staircase, which means Barnaby still won't admit to the crime, but he does admit that there is enough evidence against him that he could possibly that they could possibly convict him. So basically Barnaby agrees to be convicted, but is allowed to maintain his innocence, which is interesting because he admitted to the crime three days after it happened, but suddenly decades later and he's like, oh shit, man. Nah. <laughs> me. You know, it's like that you stop it. I'm also dying to know how the jury was deadlocked three times when a man confessed. I'm curious about that, and I'm also curious, and this is going to sound like I'm trying to make a joke, and I'm 100% not. I'm very curious about the socks. They left their socks at the scene of the crime? Yeah. That's bloody socks. That is very bizarre to me. And listen, I know this happened in the 80s originally, so I understand that there wasn't DNA back then, but... I don't know. That just feels like such a, there's got to be something with the socks. But anyway, it's, it was a choice. Like if your socks were that bloody, were you, were you wearing shoes? Were your shoes bloody? Again? Yeah. There's a lot of questions I have here. I just feel like the socks, all jokes aside, if I was an investigator, that's a key to your point. Where are the shoes? Were the shoes bloody? Like were there footprints? Like to me, it's like, the socks are the key because if they took off their socks there would be footprints in that that apartment somewhere right now granted i know probably really hard to pull off of carpeting but if they stepped onto any laminate or hardwood etc your footprint again i know this is gonna say everything i'm saying right now sounds like a bit it's not but your footprint is actually as unique as, as a fingerprint believe it or not yeah so again to me it's like I don't know. For me, it, it just feels like there was a lot there that it, it, it does seem odd when there's a confession and there's a very specific piece of evidence you don't normally see Yeah, for the jury to be deadlocked that many times. That's fascinating. What's with the socks? Tell us about I was, the socks. I was, I, was trying, I was trying to be, what's in the box, you know, from yep. seven. It, yep. no. it, didn't, it didn't land. They don't always land, folks. They don't have to. So Barnaby was sentenced to 12 to 40 years, but since the court is taking the seven and a half years he had previously spent in jail during the course of the case, he may only serve another four and a half. Moving over to Michigan, Mm. May 5th, 1992, 55-year-old Susan Pittman and 36-year-old Christine Puckett were murdered by their neighbor, 65-year-old James Brooks. Brooks claimed to be deeply offended by the public display of affection between Susan and Christine. Some say there was also a property line dispute over construction of a privacy fence in their rural neighborhood. Brooks had often shot at and sometimes killed any animal of theirs that wandered onto his property, including a goat and numerous dogs. Brooks even killed Suzanne and Christine's pet chicken. Oh. So when the women caught Brooks on their property, they took pictures to prove that he was the one trespassing. Yeah. The photos were later found on their camera. 
It is believed that Christine went to Brooke's house to confront him about the trespassing. After she spoke with him at the door, he walked back in the house, grabbed a rifle, and shot her. When Susan came to Christine's aid, Brooks shot her point-blank range. He then shot Christine a second time in the back, just because. Brooks then went and sat in his car and waited for police to arrive. When they did, he didn't fight or try to run. He simply said, quote, I had to do it. The two women were active members of the gay community, both having served on the board of directors for the Affirmations Lesbian and Gay Community Center. At the time of their deaths, Susan was a mother to a son, and Christine was the mother of five, grandmother to eight. Now, I know there was a trial, but for some reason, that was all I could find. And honestly, as a researcher, that was very enraging for me. Not as enraging as this case, of course. So I just have to hope that that old bastard went to jail for the rest of his life. Susan's son did make a documentary about this. I don't believe it's come out yet, but maybe it has more information in it. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he knows more about what, what went on. Yeah. So I'm going to give a trigger warning on this next case. Okay. July 19th, 2009, 39-year-old Teresa Butes and her th- fiancé, 36-year-old Jennifer Hopper, woke up in the middle of the night to find a half-naked man standing over their bed with a knife. Mm. Over the course of two hours, the man proceeded to torture, rape, and repeatedly stab both women. Despite having her throat slit, Jennifer survived the attack. Oh, wow. But Teresa died from a stab wound to the heart. The attacker fled the scene only to be arrested days later after a bus driver identified him from a police bulletin. The man would turn out to be 23-year-old Isaiah Kalibu, who had a history of mental illness, but did not present a mental health defense in court. There wasn't much of a defense anyway, as numerous fingerprints and DNA evidence belonging to Kalibu was found at the scene, not to mention the fact that Jennifer was brave enough to testify against him. Oh, wow. Kalibu was charged with aggravated first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, rape, and burglary. The jury deliberated for two days before finding Kalibu guilty on all counts. In August 2011, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The judge added an additional 98-year prison term, which Kalibu would have to be would have to serve if his sentence was rejected by some sort of appeal. Wow. So that judge was like, I don't care what happens in the future, but in my court, you're in you're in for life regardless. Wow. So some judges are nice. <laughs> some judges get it. Well, it sounds you know? to me like there was a massive amount of evidence in that case. It's oh, rare yeah. for a, a judge to make that kind of call. I've, I've never heard of that before, personally. No. So that, said, that suggests to me that it's like, it's got to be pretty, pretty damning. Oh, wow. 100%. Uh, an, an editor named Eli Sanders won a Pulitzer Prize for feature writing in 2012 for his reporting on the incident. And Sanders even turned the report into a full-length book called While the City Slept that was released in 2016. Horrific and enraging aside, oh, no. which is a little di- a little different than a than the poppier fun side note. Right. Um, in the month leading up to the attack, Kalibu had been in court repeatedly for a harassment case in which he was accused of threatening to kill his own mother. Ugh. 
Then a fire was set at his aunt's house, killing her and the man who lived with her. And since prosecutors believed that Kalibu was involved, they asked a judge to revoke Kalibu's bail in the harassment case. The judge refused, and six days later, Teresa was murdered. So if the judge had taken the idea of Kalibu as a threat seriously, the attack would never have happened. Wow. So I have now raged about cases in the United States. Are we ready for me to rage internationally? Let's do it. We? That's about the extent of... <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes, French. Of my knowledge, French. I was French. like, what are you... You and me? No. Yeah, baby. No, no, no I'm, I'm meaning, I'm meaning yes. Oh, well. We don't need French for this next case because it takes place in good old London, England. And that, dear listeners, is what Christy calls a terrible segue. <laughs> so I'm going to give another trigger warning, oh, as the details of this one are particularly brutal. Uh, 39-year-old Jacqueline Queen was dating 46-year-old James Seaton. However, things weren't going very well, and Jacqueline told Seaton she was breaking up with him because she had fallen in love with another woman. Days later, Jacqueline's body was found by a dog walker on November 30th, 2005 on a grass verge in Findlay, Finchley. And for those who don't know what a grass verge is, because I did not before this, it's apparently just the strip of grass that's beside a road or a path. I didn't know it had a specific name. You learn something new every day. I did day. not know that either. Uh, apparently, Seton was enraged at the thought that Jacqueline was leaving him for a woman, so he attacked her with a hammer and a 12-inch knife. Oh. The attack was so vicious that Jacqueline was nearly decapitated, and according to the medical examiner, Jacqueline may have been alive, but was hopefully unconscious when Seton attempted to saw off her head. Oh my god. Seton then wrapped Jacqueline's body in bedsheets and put her in a wardrobe. He called his brother John the next day to ask him to help move some furniture. And when they moved the wardrobe, Jacqueline's body fell out. So John did what anybody would do in that situation, and that is he helped dump the body. And then went home and immediately called police. Which, I guess, led to Seton's arrest, so I guess that's something. I guess. John was charged with conspiracy to pervert the course of justice. Yeah. Lawyers tried to claim that Seton had been drinking too much to be held accountable, and when the jury didn't buy that, lawyers claimed that Seton was suffering from mental illness when the attack occurred. Thankfully, the jury saw through that bullshit, and Seton was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison on October 13, 2006. Sticking with London, this is one that some may have heard about, uh, May 30th, 2019, 28-year-old Melania Gamane and her 29-year-old girlfriend Chris were attacked on a double-decker bus. Unnecessary flexing side note. There are a lot of articles about this particular case because it happened fairly recently. And the hard majority of them do not mention Chris's last name. Because she does, she would like a little more anonymity. She puts her face out there, but she doesn't want to put her last name. Respect. Melania obviously feels different. But I did find out Chris's last name. But I understand that she wants to be more anonymous. 
So I'm going to respect that and not say her last name, but I'm just going to flex super hard that I found it. <laughs> because Kudos. again, this has just raised confidence where I'm now just openly flexing, which is like, sit down, Christy. Nope. Stand up. Keep standing. <laughs> stand up and look at that goddamn degree. That's exactly. Put yeah. it at eye level. Yeah. Right. It's and then the just passion. do this. Just flex your bicep at it. Right. It's... Yep just yep a, a just a fire's been ignited inside my soul i live for it so a group of teenagers made lewd comments at melania and chris told them to kiss each other and then threw coins at the couple before before full on attacking the women oh my and God. just just because these kids are complete pieces of shit when they took off they stole a phone and a bag from the women Melania said, quote, they surrounded us and started saying really aggressive stuff, things about sexual positions, lesbians, and claiming we could kiss so they could watch us. The police have released CCTV footage of the attack. The 36-second video shows the teenagers making rude gestures and blocking the women from moving around the otherwise empty upper deck of the bus. A fight then breaks out and the women are herded into a pair of seats, one of the teens can be seen pulling his hand back before striking the women. The incident left one of the women with a broken jaw. Oh my God! Four male teenagers between the ages of 15 to 18 were arrested in connection with the assault, which was thankfully treated as a hate crime. And I say thankfully because it does not happen nearly as often as it should. And if the teenage boy's reaction to the women was shocking then buckle up for the internet's reaction to this case coming out. Instead of being supportive of the women, the story garnered such absolute bullshit responses as, quote, well, that's what you get for being gay. And, quote, no wonder my brother is having, or can't find a girl to marry. All the girls have been taken by girls. Oh, boy. I guarantee that's not the reason your brother is single. Yeah. So apparently people are pure trash. Yeah. Uh, when asked whether the attack left her less willing to hold hands in public, Chris said, quote, I'm not scared about being visibly queer. If anything, you should do it more. <laughs> Which I love. Kudos to her for that. Yeah. Uh, because police in London found that more than two thirds of LGBTQ plus people said that they avoided holding hands with a same-sex partner for fear of a negative reaction from others. The number of reported homophobic hate crimes in UK went from 6,600 in 2014 to 18,000 in Whoa. 2019. But these numbers are just the tip of the iceberg, as it has been said that 80% of LGBTQ plus people don't report hate crimes to the police. And there are numerous reasons for it, including the fact that reported crimes don't always lead to prosecutions or even arrests. According to the National Crime Victimization Survey, it is believed that more than 2.4 million hate crimes were committed in the United States between 2012 and 2016. And from January 2010 to July 2018, only 100 hate crimes were prosecuted as federal crimes in the United States. Now, another hate crime, uh, only this time we're going to China. 
Now, this is the one, there was no info about this, like literally one single article. That's all I could find, but I had to bring this up. So, 2000, a man in northern China allegedly hired his friend to kill the girlfriend of the man's daughter, as he found their relationship to be, quote, intolerable. The man claims that he asked his friend to simply beat up the victim, but the friend offered to, quote, fix the problem once and for all. The man claimed that he visited his the victim's family numerous times to beg them to get the victim to leave his daughter alone. The friend that this man uh, propositioned was a lawyer who contacted the suspect and arranged the whole crime. The suspect assaulted and killed the victim and then dumped her body in a well. Oh my God. It is said the suspect was paid $12,000, which today would be about 19000 The father, who was not named publicly, is currently serving a life sentence for his involvement. The lawyer, who in set everything up, was given the death penalty and then executed. Whoa! No word on what happened to the actual suspect. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, look, the uh, these cases are not going to stop enraging, so yeah. buckle up, folks. Yeah. This time, we're heading to Jamaica. Okay. June 29th, 2006, the bodies of 20-year-old Candace Williams and 22-year-old Phoebe Myrie were found dumped in a septic pit behind their home in Bull Bay, St. Andrew, Jamaica. Candace and Phoebe were last seen June 18th, and a 15-year-old relative found the bodies while he was at the house searching for the couple. The small lid of the pit was unusually sealed with concrete, which prompted the boy to look inside. Heavy-duty equipment had to be used to dig open the pit so police could get to the bodies. An autopsy showed they died from multiple stab wounds. Their bodies were found with a pillow, a knitted sheet, and a teddy bear? The remains of a burnt mattress were found near the pit. Candace was the mother of one, and Phoebe was the mother of two children. Mm. Police quickly named Dwayne Lewis, Candace's ex-boyfriend and the father of her child, as the prime suspect, saying the relationship between the women was his motive. Lewis was charged with murder in 2006 and was in court at least 50 times over the next eight years before the trial even began. And honestly, I can't even find any report or news that the trial ever happened. I hope that justice has been served, but honestly, it is not looking good. Wow. Candace and Phoebe were two of the 74 females that were murdered in the first six months of 2006 in Jamaica. In 2005, there were 188 women murdered, which was an increase from 141 in 2004. And this is just women, not specifically members of the LGBTQ plus community. And since I'm depressing our listeners with stats anyway, please indulge me as we take a very sobering trip around the world, starting with Mexico. Okay. 117 members of the LGBTQ plus community were killed in Mexico in 2019 which is up almost a third compared to the 2018 numbers and the highest number since 2015. 
Oh. Overall, 2019 was the deadliest year on record for people of the LGBTQ plus community. Victims had been found handcuffed, stabbed repeatedly, and just dumped in random public places. Mm-hmm. The number of murder victims was up 2.5% in 2019, while in that same year, the number of LGBTQ plus murder victims was up 27%. Wow. More than half the victims were transgender women, while nearly a third were gay men. At least 441 LGBTQ plus people were murdered in Mexico between 2015 and 2019. But as the discrimination grows, Thankfully, so have the LGBTQ rights in Mexico. More than half of Mexico's 32 states recognize gay marriage, and the nation's top court has ruled that trans people have a legal right to change their gender identity on official documents. And the discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation was outlawed in 2003. Mexico was the second country to implement such a law in Latin America after Ecuador. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then there's Colombia. Oh, dear. Where at least 63 members of the LGBTQ plus community were killed in the first eight months of 2020. Wow. In that same time frame, the country's human rights organization reported 388 cases of violence against LGBTQ plus and intersex people, mostly in the form of physical and psychological aggressions. 36 cases of aggra- of aggression from police officers were also noted. Mm. And despite these numbers, somehow neither Mexico nor Colombia is considered to be the most dangerous place for LGBTQ plus people. That distinction belongs to Nigeria, oh. where the penalties for being gay include up to 14 years in prison and the death penalty. The northern states of Nigeria criminalized transgender and gender nonconforming people and in their current system, it is also criminalized to even have discussions of LGBTQ plus rights. Wow. Saudi Arabia is ranked as the second worst country for LGBTQ plus people as homosexuality can be punished with 100 whips, banishment for a year, or even the death penalty. It is also illegal to dress in clothing of the opposite sex. Really? So many countries punish homosexuality with prison time. And while in places like Morocco or Egypt, it's up to five years, others like Malaysia and Malawi, it can be upwards of 20 years. In Uganda, homosexuality is punishable by life imprisonment and a 2009 lawmaker introduced a bill calling for homosexual acts to be punished with death. And while we're speaking about Uganda... They have a newspaper called Rolling Stone. No relation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and on multiple occasions in 2010, this Rolling Stone published the photos of dozens of men and women who were suspected members of the LGBTQ plus community. They were all identified by name and hometown. Stosh Magushi who was outed by the newspaper, said things got so bad for her that she was forced to move away from her home. Stosh was scheduled to appear before a high court to seek an injunction to block the paper from further publishing any similar content. I could not find any follow-up on that, but I found a quote from a member of their parliament, which makes me feel like that didn't go well. 
Cassiano E. Wadri said, quote, I detest gays in my heart. When I see a gay, I think the person needs psychotherapy. You need to break him. Which is, I mean, time to see someone about about those issues that you have. Yeah. Wadri. This paper also didn't have a license to publish. Oh. But, but they chose to publish anyway. The paper then chose to publish another story, this time featuring the names and photos of 100 men believed to be gay under the headline, Hang Them. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, And Uganda isn't the only part of South Africa with intense violence against LGBTQ plus people. Unfortunately, much of the continent considered homosexuality to be a criminal act. But the place I want to focus on is South Africa. February 4th, 2006, 19-year-old Zaliswa Nakonyana was killed simply because she was living openly as a WLW or woman-loving woman. Zaliswa was clubbed, kicked, and stabbed to death by a group of 20 young men. Oh. The attack occurred just 10 feet from her home. The case dragged on for six years, and after more than 50 delays, four men were each sentenced to 18 years in jail, while five others were acquitted. There is no word on what happened to the rest of them. But the 18-year sentence were precedent-setting for South Africa's justice system by acknowledging the hatred and intolerance based on sexual orientation as an aggravating factor. Up until that point in South Africa, brutalizing or killing someone because of their sexual orientation was not considered a hate crime. The Joint Working Group, which is an umbrella organization for South Africa's gay and lesbian associations, said that in just two months there had been four murders of woman-loving women in black townships. In separate incidents, Simajili Nalapu, Madio Mafubedu, Sizakili Sigasa, and Salome Masua were all assaulted and repeatedly stabbed for living openly as members of the LGBTQ community. A member of the joint working group said, quote, I have recorded 50 rape cases dating back 10 years involving black lesbians in townships. Rape and violence against lesbians is common. The problem is largely that of the patriarchy. The men who perpetrate such crimes see rape as curative and as an attempt to show women their place in society. Oh. And that's right, dear listeners, despite the fact that South Africa is the only African country where same-sex marriage is allowed, numerous women are still being targeted and often subjected to corrective rape by men who think that this cures homosexuality. And hearing something like that makes me want to scream into the void, as does the fact that there are just so many cases in this area that involve women-loving women who were brutally attacked and then just dumped near a stream or in a ditch, like Yudi Simulane, who was a midfielder for a national football team, or LGBT rights activist Noxolo Nagwaza. Oof, I'm so sorry. I am... It turns out reading names is not in my wheelhouse, so that's something I should have considered before applying for the job. I didn't apply. I was just hired. (laughs) I didn't know there was an opening. (laughs) I can't help where I shine. 
You can't. On December 10th, 2017, 32-year-old Joey Van Nykirk and her 30-year-old wife, Anisha, were reportedly missing. Six days later, the couple's car was found, burned. The women had been assaulted, tortured, and shot. The suspects also stole the couple's bank cards and used them in the days following the murders. Eight suspects were arrested, ranging in age from 18 to 53. Four had the charges dropped for some reason, and four were handed a total of 12 life sentences and a combined 187 years behind bars. I'm really happy they didn't do that one in months. Yeah, Yeah, good point. Uh, And just when I thought that these attacks couldn't get any worse... I learned that according to a 2020 poll published by an LGBTQ plus advocacy group, 62% of LGBTQ members surveyed said that they experienced one or more forms of violence by their immediate family. Mm. 77% of those surveyed said that they had been subjected to physical violence. And the idea of attacking a loved one is just shocking to me. There was a case in New Jersey where 30-year-old Rayshon Holmes and 31-year-old Shani Baraka were both shot and killed by Shani's brother-in-law in August 2003. He was indicted on two counts of murder and sentenced to two consecutive life terms. Then there's the case of 20-year-old Fazeli Mumfared, who was living in Iran with plans to seek asylum in Norway or Sweden, as his family had threatened to kill him. Simply because he was gay. Fazeli was kidnapped and murdered by his half-brother and two cousins. It was considered to be an honor killing, as it has been said that he was beheaded. The half-brother learned about Fazeli's sexual orientation after seeing Fazeli's military service exemption card, Iran's military laws exempt gay people from the mandatory military service as it is considered to be, quote, a mental disorder. All three suspects have been arrested in connection with the killing, which took place on just May 4th, 2021. Wow. So we aren't as far as we would like to think we are. Yeah. I think. I think that that is uh, very clear. Yeah. Oh, wow. Listen, well, I know that we're not all the way through, but let's take one more quick break. I know I need to hit the can uh, and grab another can. Nice. Don't get them mixed up. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? This is Lauren Ash, and I hope you're enjoying this episode of True Crime and Cocktails Famous Fatalities Edition. A couple of quick reminders. If you're looking for any of the visuals Christy mentions in this or any of our episodes of the podcast, make sure to follow us at True Crime and Cocktails on Instagram. There she posts a case file with all the relevant visuals for each episode of the show. If that's not enough for you, you want a little bit more? Go to our website, truecrimeandcocktails.com. There, Christy posts extensive virtual case files. This is literally everything she finds in her research. It's a treasure trove of deep dives, and it's all there for your enjoyment. Also on the website, you can find our full unedited Zoom episodes of the show if you'd like to watch rather than listen. And make sure to give us a follow on Facebook at True Crime and Cocktails, 
Twitter, at Not Detectives. And the most important piece of information, if you like the show, please, wherever you listen to it, give us a nice rating. Go on to Apple. Leave us a nice review. I know it sounds like a silly cliche, but the truth is it really goes a long way in this crazy podcast world, and your support means the world to us. But enough about all that. Get yourself another drink, sit back, and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, so we, we've we just gone and taken a horrifying trip around the world, so thank you for that. Well, whatever makes the people not miss traveling. Yeah, great point. Great point. But yes, all right, so we talked about some relatives uh, when people you know turn on you, but I believe now we're going to talk a little bit more about that same topic, yes? Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the idea of attacking someone that you know, yeah. let alone someone that you're related to. Mm-hmm. But then I learned of the horrific amount of cases that involve homophobic fathers attacking their daughter's girlfriends. Wow, that's so specific. You, you, you wouldn't think there'd be a lot of those, but yeah. I found so many. I'm, I'm not even talking about all of the ones I found. Really? Mainly due to time constraints and because how many names can you say in an episode before the people turn on you? And I think this one is where I find out. But So April 22nd, 2010, 24-year-old Courtney Bright was strangled to death by Jerry Lee Seeger simply because Seeger couldn't stand the fact that Courtney had been in a three-year relationship with his daughter, Ashley. Courtney was found dead in a closet on the second floor of a foreclosed home. In June 2013, Seeger was found guilty of second-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. Then there's the tragic case of 24-year-old Norma Hurtado, who had been dating 18-year-old Lydia for over a year. The couple even lived together at the home of Norma's parents, along with Lydia's young daughter. Norma financially supported her parents, as well as Lydia and her daughter. But Jose Alfonso Avile, Lydia's father, did not care for this arrangement at all. He went to Norma's house in Texas, and when she answered the door, Avile shot her 15 times. And when Norma's mother, 57-year-old Maria Hurtado, tried to step in front of her daughter, Avile shot her as well. Oh, no. Both women died instantly. Avile had been sending text messages to Norma threatening to kill her in the months leading up to the attack. In December 2012, Avile was found guilty of capital murder, which in Texas means an automatic sentence of life in prison. So staying with the theme of batshit fathers, I found a case that was bananas. But don't worry, folks. This one doesn't deal with death. Oh, so we're going to take that tone and we're going to bring it up. I've, <laughs> lost, I've also lost my mind. Listen, I'm with you. Uh, 28-year-old Yemena Rico and 21-year-old Shaza Ismail were living happily in London. Shaza's father called her to say her mother was in the hospital. So on April 14th, Shaza and Yemena flew to Dubai. However, Shaza's mother wasn't really ill at all. And it was all just a ruse by Shaza's father to try and force the couple apart. Even though it's kind of risky to have your daughter come to a place where homosexuality is punished by death. (laughs) 
He even tried to lock his daughter in their house, but Shaza managed to escape and along with Yemena flew to Georgia, the country, not the state, yeah. in the hopes of catching a connecting flight to London. However, Shaza's father shows up at the airport, takes the couple's passports and rips up Shaza's visa, which she needs in order to return to the UK. At this point, the Georgian authorities escorted the couple to the Turkish border where they were arrested. Oh my God. Thankfully, Yemena managed to get word to her family and the women were released days later. But can you imagine a parent willingly putting the life of their child over just how their child lives their life? I just can't even imagine that. He tricked her into entering a country where her sexuality is seen as a criminal offense and is punishable by death. It's sick on many levels. And to be like, like, your mother is unwell, you know? And then it's like, oh, she's fine. That's disgusting. Mm. The adorable thing that the women have just decided, you know what, it is what it is. Uh, We think now we might get married. (laughs) So... Good on them for Good that. for them. I would almost rather this man have disowned her than tricked yeah. her, pretended the mother was sick, put her in danger, ripped up her visa. You know what I mean? Like, again, like, I, I, I don't know what's worse. Let's put it that way. That's a better way of wording it. I don't yeah. know what's worse because they're yeah. both pretty awful. Yeah, it's just, I, ugh, I, it's beyond comprehension to me. Yeah. Um, I'm just never going to understand it. It's like a, a parent who would rather have their child be dead than be gay. I just don't get it. Yeah. They're your child. So you love them regardless? Like, isn't that how that works? I kind of thought that was how that works. I mean, I'm not a mother, but I was under the impression that w- that was part of the deal. <laughs> yes! It, 100%. Right? Is the deal. It's this is how like, it that's the works. Deal. And someday if your kid comes to you and is like, I'm gay, you go, okay, cool. Stop and? drinking the milk right out of the carton. <laughs> yeah. Stop leaving the doors open. Like the yeah. basic things you give kids shit for. You just like, exactly. it doesn't matter who your child loves as long as they're not an asshole or hurting other people. Yep. Then... Great. Exactly. Consider it a victory. (laughs) You know, I just... 100%. I'll never get it. Me neither. So October 2020, a 19-year-old girl going to college in the south of France had recently started dating another woman. She came out to her parents on the phone and her 52-year-old father threatened to kill her, so the girl hung up. The father did what any normal person would do and immediately got in his car and drove 500 miles or 804 kilometers to the college walked around until he found her and then started yelling at her again and threatened to kill her the young woman is able to hide in a building until university staff could contact the police the man was taken into custody and is being held until his trial the daughter the daughter's mother and the daughter's girlfriend have all filed criminal complaints against the man. Well, thank goodness that she has her mother. A hundred percent. And sadly, 
we go from fathers threatening their daughters to fathers who just outright killed their own children. Oh my God. March 6, 2014, 46-year-old James Cosby killed his daughter, 24-year-old Brittany Cosby, and her girlfriend, 24-year-old Crystal Jackson. Both women were beaten and strangled, and Crystal was shot in the temple. The women were found near a dumpster outside of a convenience store in Texas. Five months prior to the murders, James Cosby was released from prison after serving 10 years for a sexual assault and an additional two years for failing to register as a sex offender. Cosby was charged with two counts of tampering with evidence for moving the bodies, and in 2016, he was found guilty of capital murder and sentenced to life in prison without the chance of parole. Now, I also want to point out there were so many of cases of parents who killed their own children because their children were members of the LGBTQ plus community that it was very heartbreaking and there were a lot that I saw that I wish I hadn't seen and I feel like if I had brought them up it would have been a very different show so yeah and you know I think the bigger point is this I think that I think that that you know I said it before our first break that we took and I do stand by even more now I think that uh, what you've done masterfully is really kind of given a overview uh, in a succinct way of all of the reasons why we can't be complacent and that those of us who are in a position of privilege and, and are allies to this community need to really remember again, because as I said before, and I want to state again to people who are listening that, that may, this may re- resonate with, you know, we don't necessarily have this stuff on our radar because it isn't a part of our daily lives. And I think yeah. that that doesn't mean that we're bad people. It just means that I think that this is a really great reminder and you've given a really kind of, you know, great overview of all of the reasons why we all need to be fired up and we all need to not get complacent and remember that this is, there is a long, long way to go. And there are people who are being targeted because of, you know, their gender preference, their sexual preference, all of those kinds of things and, and being, you know, abused, discriminated against, murdered. I mean, it's so overwhelming. And I don't doubt that there are far worse cases that you probably could have talked about too. But then at that point, it also becomes, what are we doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. that, I think you did a really great job at, 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 at painting the picture of, of what the, the climate really is right now. And it's not as, it's not as kind of idyllic, not that necessarily, well, I didn't think it was idyllic. I would, I wouldn't go that far, but I really do think it is a good reminder that we're not as far along as we think we are. And that, that, that if you think that these things are bad, we guarantee you there's way worse things that are still happening probably in your next door, you know? A hundred percent. It's a great point to bring up that you feel like we've come such a long way and we, we've come a long way from where we were, but we still have so much further to go. On June 15th, 2020, by a vote of six to three, the Supreme Court ruled that existing federal law forbids job, job discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or transgender status. And while this is a huge step in the right direction, the proof that there is still more work to be done can be seen in the giant loophole in that 
While the new law forbids jobs from discriminating against people, it also exempts small businesses that have fewer than 15 employees and small businesses employ as many as one in six Americans. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. The decision also didn't address other questions such as whether members of the LGBTQ plus community can be refused access to housing or denied services from businesses or whether discrimination is justified by religious beliefs. President of the Human Rights Campaign, Alfonso David, said the ruling is, quote, a monumental decision for the LGBTQ community, but it is not the end of our struggle. We're still fighting to make sure LGBTQ people are protected in all aspects of their lives. And that, I think, is why we chose to focus on LGBTQ plus cases this month. We wanted to bring awareness to things that have been happening that most people might, might not be aware of. And I think it is a good reminder of just how important Pride Month really is. Reporting for True Crime and Cocktails, I'm Christy Oxborough. Thank you, Christy. Back to you, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Really excellent work. I really oh. commend you. I think that you did a great job synthesizing a lot of information and laying it out in a way that was had a very kind of cohesive flow that made sense you you took us on a you took us on a journey in a in a really succinct impactful way and that's not easy so i i commend you for that well done well again it's just the show's just turned into just a lot of support um (laughs) (laughs) i uh i just I've seen some things this week. <laughs> I I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. That uh, again, it I, I understand that people are may hear this episode and then just be like, oh, I may have found it boring on different stats and things, and I would have preferred more true crime. And you know what I'm gonna say? Nope. No, you no, you wouldn't. Uh, yeah. There was uh, there's a lot, and it just it's it's so sad that how many cases I had to choose from and in the end I didn't even go with you know half of the ones that I found but I went with 39 cases and 65 victims which is I mean I think for the most I've ever talked about I think was um deep water that we did a few weeks ago right and that was 22 23 victims and this one had 65 like i first of all i need to sit down second of second of all i need I, I next time i know make a box so that it all if it fits in the box then fine but i just kept like broadening and broadening because more and more things kept coming to light that i was like if this is shocking to me this is going to be shocking to probably a lot of other people yeah and like of all of these cases that I had talked about, I think there was maybe one that I had heard of. Yeah. And that's not even the poor young man who died six weeks ago. I know. I never heard about that. How have I not heard about that? Information is everywhere and instant and all the time happening. And this just completely under the radar. And that is shocking to me. So... That's why I, you know, prattled on about stats. And that's why I mentioned a heck of a lot of names and probably really did a poor poor job saying them. But it's just, it's important to remember that there's so much 
going on that we have no idea of what's going on. So just, you know, we need to, we need to be more present, maybe? I don't know where I'm going with that. I think aware. Is, I think aware yeah, might be the yes, word. That's, yeah, that was a much better choice. I don't know what's going on with me mentally at this point. Again, it's it's been a dark week. You've, again, you've, <laughs> you've waded through a lot of darkness, and I know that you always do. Yeah on this yeah. show and we're all grateful to you for that so thank you as always for your work and for shouldering the burden of the mental burden of of what it means to have to read and see the things that you read and see because I, I do think that that takes a toll yeah but I do also think <laughs> yeah. I do also think that it is a good reminder that you know being I think present is a good word too but I think aware is is the one that keeps coming to my mind as well and I think that I also don't want people to interpret this as, as as us being like, look at the good thing we're doing, because that's not what it is at all. But I do want to say, and I say this with, truly without ego, that I would encourage and I, I would hope that other people with platforms would start to do similar kinds of things because, you know, I think it's great to shine a light on the things that that people don't hear about i haven't heard of any of these cases truthfully right. at all and so other than the wedding cake fiasco right like I, and that yeah. went like crazy viral but you know and that's that's the the other kind of you know motivation behind for the month of june we put up an unsolved lgbtq plus case on all of our social channels because there isn't enough coverage there isn't enough information about so many of these unsolved murders for us to yeah. do an entire episode about we do them if we could but there's just we can't make an episode out of nothing we can't if there's no information but that was yeah. a way to be able to get those faces get the little bits of information that that are out there and available out there on the platform that we've managed to create doing this show and my hope again is that you know more people in the true crime space continue to do the same because i think that it's important and and yeah. it's important to talk about a variety of cases not just not just the ones that are super well known i agree i mean it's it's why i why i willingly wade through the darkness i know i'm so sorry for all of us i mean so there was uh the case that i mentioned to you that I said is the worst thing yeah. that I have seen in the last, I don't even know what we're at, seven months, eight months of doing this. It is the worst thing. Like I, and I always, I, I'm, I'm a very vocal person. And so when I'm, if I read something, I do like an, oh, and if it's loud enough, my husband can hear me all the way down the hall when he's working uh, from home in the office <laughs> and I, I, I made a horrible sound and he came out later on his break and was like, so what's up with that? And I was like, I, nope, I'm not, <laughs> this is my cross to bear. I can't. And so it was something I wouldn't even share with him. I was like, no, you don't want to hear it. Although he would be like, oh God, that's awful. And like go about his day. Whereas it will rest with me for the rest of my life. And then I mentioned to you and you were like, tell me. Because, of course, greatest best friend on the planet. Just, like, let me carry this with you. It will be, it'll be lighter if we're carrying it together. And I refused because I'm like, I can't let it 
you know, I can't, I can't, <laughs> there are certain things that I'm like, no, I, I would like you to sleep again and not think about that off and on for, for days after learning it. Ugh. It's just the, the level of, of how awful humans can be yeah. is, I, you always think that you know how low people will go and then you read stuff that go, oh, wow, they went so much further than I thought. Yeah. Just unimaginable things. And so, I mean, the least we could do is try and just get names and faces and things out there to try and bring awareness. And I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to find a way to help at least get some of these f names and faces out there because I know we wanted to, but we couldn't find a way to do it because again, some of the cases were as simple as, well, this person was shot in a massive crowd, but nobody saw anything. And that's where it ends. And I don't, unfortunately, I can't make a full episode about that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know if I can do a full episode where I'm just talking about hundreds of those so at some point, it's, you got to do, we, we also didn't want to ignore it. We had to find some way that we were going to bring, to at least put a spotlight on it. And that was the way that we found. Absolutely. Well, listen, Christy Oxborough, your first Christy Oxborough Investigates episode, you knocked <laughs> it out of the park. So well researched, so well mm. done. We thank you for doing this work so that we don't have to. And and I apologize on behalf of the, the true crew, the <laughs> listeners, that you have seen and read things that you will never recover from potentially. But we appreciate... I would rather it be me than the rest of them. Well, so and that's I'll because take it. You're, I'll take it. you're a beautiful soul, too, 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 anyway. too pure for this earth. Uh, but we, we do, uh, you know, I think I can speak for everybody. I'll speak for myself, but I think I can speak for everybody in saying that, that we deeply appreciate what you do all the time. But this was a very special episode, and we, we really do truly, I really appreciate the work that you did. It has lit a fire in me, and it is a great reminder for those of us who are allies to this community that we cannot get complacent and we have to remember that there's always more that can be done and for those who have a platform and privilege even if you don't that's the other thing too like some people feel like oh you know maybe I don't have a social media following or what can I do or whatever and my point always and I've said this for years is that many small voices together make a very, very, very loud voice. And if you think that you're doing nothing, I think you'd be surprised that even doing a little bit, sharing a post, it seems like maybe it could be pointless, but maybe somebody will see it. Maybe they'll feel supported by you, or maybe you might raise a point that could resonate with somebody that they haven't thought about something in that way before. Every little bit, even if it doesn't feel to you in the moment like it's a big deal, it together, again, is all part of a collective energy and spirit, and we're all in this together. So that's important. Make sure, if you haven't already, give us a follow on Instagram, at True Crime and Cocktails, Facebook, at True Crime and Cocktails, YouTube, at True Crime and Cocktails, uh, and on Twitter, at Not Detectives. Again, for the rest of the month of June, we will be posting daily cases of cases that are not featured on the podcast, but that do highlight LGBTQ plus unsolved murders. So give those a look. And again, truecrewmooch.com. You can get one of these fabulous limited edition 
True Crime and Cocktails Pride shirts. These are only on sale for the month of June, so order one while you can. 50% of the profits do go to the Trevor Project. And the only other thing I implore you is please make sure you go through truecrewmerch.com or truecrimeandcocktails.com. Um, there are pirates on the internet that I would like to be alone in a room with to give them a firm talking to because they steal and it's wrong. <laughs> but please, if you'd like to support us and support the charity, we just ask that you make sure that you go through the proper channels to place your order. Um, Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Good night, people. Good night, everybody. Hi, Adam Peacock from My Neighbors Are Dead here. Each week on My Neighbors Are Dead, I talk to the tertiary characters real and imagined from your favorite horror films. But this summer, we're doing something different. We are taking you to the northern woods of Michigan, all the way up to Whitlow Lake, to bring you the original tale of the My Neighbors Are Dead summer camp massacre. We're bringing back some fan favorites of the show as we try to piece together through interviews with survivors, witnesses, and with any luck, the killer Chad himself. We're going to try to piece together exactly what the hell happened up there at Camp Willow Lake. It starts June 22nd and it runs all summer long. That's the My Neighbors Are Dead Summer Camp Massacre. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.